Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast about iterative brewing. Each episode, we work on a project, a deck, strategy, or archetype that we think has room for exploration and brew to the fringes of competitive deck building. On this episode, we check in with the team on what we've been brewing up since last episode before diving into our main topic for the week, brewing on a budget. A six-pack full, only $4.99. We welcome special guest, the one and only Emma Partlow, to the show (laughs) to discuss some of the best ways to cut costs in a deck how to evaluate budget replacements for expensive cards, and how we approach brewing if we know we'll be pushing up against monetary or ticks rental limits. Have a sip of your Blink Moth tonic and open your third eye. This is Welcome to episode 7 of the Serum Visions podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me on the line is a man who regularly does laps in a pool filled with treasure tokens, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? Oh man, I loved when Ixalan came out. We were just rolling in treasure and dinosaurs. Are we getting an Ixalan 2? Does anyone know how the market research is going on that? I heard it was not very good. (laughs) Oh, but pirates! Pirates and dinosaurs! Did you see Mark Rosewater? He was wearing a flannel, and he was so excited. That's Mark Rosewater with every set, right? Yeah, Yeah, I think that might be Mark Rosewater with every single set. But but the dinosaurs, pirates. Nah, yeah, it was it was okay. There was the the one of the best card names of all time. It was that one black spell. Oh, um, Skullduggery. Skullduggery, yeah. Skullduggery. No, uh, that was it was a cool time, and I like I like my treasure tokens. I'd love to get back in a pool, but uh, I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. So <laughs> you can't freeze treasure we... tokens. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I could go swimming in the lake, but I feel like even the polar bear club might warn me that that's a bad idea. Uh, I don't know if you guys have that wherever you are, but it's this crazy group of people who go swimming in the winter time. Also joining me is a man not legal in Popper because he's never been printed at Common, Arun Singh. How are you, Arun? I'm doing really well, you know, excited to be recording early. You know, hope you'll be a little bit more energetic. You know, I try and go to bed around 10 and we record at 8 p.m. normally. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm almost, I'm almost to bedtime by the time we're recording. But I'm feeling pretty good and, you know, very excited for the next announcement you're going to make. Finally, a huge welcome to our first special guest co-host, the queen of budget brewing herself, Emma Partlow. Welcome, Emma. How are you doing? I'm doing good. And hello, everyone. Good, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. Um, yeah, I'm doing really well. I'm like super caffeinated, so I'm raring to go. <laughs> awesome. I just finished my uh, third cup of coffee in, in 45 minutes, so I should be good to go as well. That's a lot of coffee. This is almost my normal morning time, so I didn't have to caffeinate too much more heavily. I think this is only the fourth cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, I, I can't say that this is out of the norm for me. I start each day with uh, two double shots and an Americano, so. <laughs> Before we get too deep into things, uh, Emma, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I'm Emma Partley. I am a columnist for TCG Player. So every week I write about Budget Modern in particular, sometimes Pioneer, but Pioneer's in a bit of a weird spot right now, so who wants to give time to that? 
Um, I have a series called Modern on a Budget, which as you can guess, it's Modern on a Budget. So I usually take an established archetype and make it very budget friendly and offer a upgrade guide on how to upgrade the deck to an optimized version, giving you like a pathway in how to play the strategy as well. Also, I am the co-host of the Budget Magic Cast, which as you can guess is about budget magic. Um, myself and Scott Collin talk a lot about modern, pioneer, and we've started to delve into Commander as well, thanks to Commander Legends. So, And we're also big fans of Pauper, so we, you can expect a lot of Pauper chat as well. And that goes live every Thursday. Heck yeah, I am a regular listener. It's a great cast. Thank you. I like to think we bring some like charm because it's an Englishman and an Irishman. So, you know, <laughs> people learn quite a lot, like, like the old sayings and stuff like that, so... We, we do need more European representation in any format that isn't Legacy. Yeah, Legacy is very, very big in Europe. So you're going to get a lot of content creators that are from Europe because when GPs do happen, a lot of them tend to be Legacy for that reason. So they always sell out. That's and then once you're a Legacy sweet. player, it's just I think it's hard to taste any other format. Yeah, you kind of have to commit to it just because of the financial it's sort a- of commitment and it's just such a totally different version of magic mm. like it, there really is almost no comparison to a format where wasteland and force of will are both legal and merfolk like, is it, actually I mean, playable well, uh, well if we we look at some of the results from the last little while modern is that format too i know what's happening zach why don't you uh, lead us into a little bit of this meta discussion speaking of merfolk as as we do, and I believe we've got some contentious claims to uh, deal with here later on from someone who actually played in one of those challenges. But uh, so yeah, so our, our modern metagame. Well, um, Mono Red Obosh took both challenges um, last weekend. So as you are hearing this, this is not the weekend that has just passed you. Uh, it is uh, more than a full week ago. Um, so both challenges on the weekend were taken by Mono Red Obosh. Um, Same player is, too. Uh, oh, was it? I didn't yeah, even was, notice that. I believe it was Timu. Uh, Tweedle. Yeah, Tweedle. Tweedle. That's the one. That's the one. Tweedle, who I had not heard of before this. So maybe an alias of someone, or maybe just someone who is just rocking the uh, M Hayashi special. Now I can't actually specifically attribute it to M Hayashi, but he is the trophy board leader and is well known for playing this deck, um, which is a sort of offspring of prowess that is more grindy um, and I think gets less specifically hosed um, by some of the things that people figured out to beat prowess. Also is always rocking four of main deck Blood Moon, which uh, anyone who's watched any number of streamers (laughs) will see uh, occasionally is just a total blowout because you are not expecting the game one Blood Moon. Um, so rocking through this Saturday challenge, top eight is as follows. We've got that mono red Obosh list, but then we've got green, red, red, uh, green white Titan toolbox. That's the green white Titan deck. Uh, Eldrazi Tron. Now this is your classic Eldrazi Tron, but with two Simeon spirit guides for, I, I guess, faster chalices occasionally. For fun, you know. Um, Sometimes you want to be a little yeah. degen, but not super degen, so you add two seeming spirit guides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Never go full degen. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was that was the saying. Then we've got mono green hardened scales. Possibly something that's been written about by our good friend here, Emma, because it's an 86 ticket deck yeah. that took this person to the top of uh, the uh, modern challenge here. Uh, oh. Then we got green-white Heliod combo, blue-white pure miracles, miracles, miracles. I want to be inclusive to our American friends. <laughs> um, ad nauseum and oops, all spells. Um, so 
Uh, and it looks like Mono White Hammer Time put someone into 10th place in this challenge, so still doing quite well. Um, this is that newer version uh, that uh, Canister was streaming this week uh, after it did well. And um, it's just a tiny tweak on the uh, previous Hammer Time version. They've gone into Mono White uh, instead of Red White. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming to dodge some Blood Moons and add a little bit of consistency. Um, the highest Uro deck in this challenge was 13th place, just because I know some people love to hate on that deck, and it's largely not present in this challenge. Uh, green, blue Merfolk in 18th place, so still doing all right down there. And I, if I had to guess, that was probably Nikachu. It is. Um, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> because he's what a been, champ. He's been tearing it up. And then uh, in 30th place, just because I have to, there was a wonderful five-color Niv-Mizzet deck, <laughs> uh, which I believe had uh, Primeval Titan in it? No, nope. oh. I, I just <laughs> checked. It didn't. Titan? It had Golos, though. No. Oh, it has Golos. That was the one I was... I was uh, that makes more sense. Surprised about. Yeah. Spicy. Which they... Yeah, I mean, it's, he's got a five-color activation. He fits in the commander deck. Oh, I've, I, I I've think this person's Golos. just trying to... I, yeah, actually, this is a, and this is a non-Urion uh, um, build. So we've got a 60-card main deck, and then four Vexing Shusher on the sideboard. Spicy. spicy. Yeah. That's spicy. Yeah. Uh, I guess they were having enough problems with control decks that they uh, felt the necessary inclusion. And um, it's, it's interesting because it doesn't help your Niv-Mizzet dodge Aether Gusts, which I... Used to be a problem when I played that deck, so I wonder how that all goes down. I'm sure these people know what they're doing, and uh, Arun can uh, interview Mordekaiser for us at some point. Oh, um, yeah. To see. clarify these things. See what the latest tech is. So then the Sunday challenge, we had uh, we had the second Obosh deck, uh, followed by Mill. So, you know, that's a thing. Uh, third place, Total Dark Horse, Esper Areo which I streamed yesterday and was a total blast, and I'm sure we'll talk about more later on, as uh, part of the Arreo resurgence, I believe, can be attributed to my good friend Arun here. Uh, we've got Eldrazi Tron in fourth place, Rakdos Midrange in fifth place, Blue Moon in sixth place, Oops All Spells once again locking in seventh and eighth, and uh, then Amulet Titan. This is the classic Amulet Titan in eighth place. Uh, then uh, other notable decks we have Bant Ephemerate in 10th the highest ranking green Tron of the deck on the weekend Woo! 14th <laughs> are, we, are we fans of green Tron over there? yeah so mono green Tron is um, like my palette cleanser so if I don't know what to play I just play Tron because it's just a good deck nice. it's just a solid option um, oh, yeah. so yeah I, yeah absolutely I, I, I praise the calm father uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. All hail. Um, and uh, Classic Burn in 21st place, a deck that has been entirely absent. And then uh, Blue Red Prowess popped up. I know Shane of the Dive Down is a. Uh, I think it was Shane of the Dive Down is a fan of Blue Red Prowess. That'd and, be uh, Dave. Dave is. Oh, is it the, Dave? And Stan. Dave Harburger? It's a very yeah. is it oh, yeah. podcast to Dive Down. Yes. <laughs> I, f I feel like most brewing podcasts are, are very is it. I'm surprised at the dive down. I thought they'd be a little bit more, I don't know, analytical. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, some kind of... Oh, no, maybe maybe the brewing podcast should be more Simic. Because it's, oh, it's yeah. all about it's, The Simic has all data. the money cards, so... <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, that's true. The new Simic. Yeah, we're, we're old school Simic. You know, like when all Back the yeah. Havoc is a small crash. price to pay Back for. Back in my day, it was Coin and Oracle. Now you've got Uro. <laughs> oh, man. That, that was literally my day, too. Coiling Oracle was a house. 
Just wait till they I print mean, coiling Urocol. Oh, coiling. Oh, coiling. you something about. Voids. Oh dear. <laughs> no, no Voice slime is a great card. Void slime was a great card. Then they printed it in mono blue. <laughs> Um, and then I didn't go through this league dump. I don't know if anyone did to see if there was anything crazy. I saw the name Boros Winota, so apparently Winota uh, popping its head up again. Um, but uh, so we, we've got a a, uh, a point of discussion here. Uh, well, the most important thing is one of our friends here played in the challenge. Oh, yeah. So this was the Sunday challenge 1122. I had a little, you know, time around of being free. I was like, oh, the Sunday challenge. I checked and it's like, oh, it begins at 4 a.m., uh, this is West Coast time. It's like, well, that's a little early, but like, you know, I can just wake up early and then just, you know, I might be a little sleepy, but hopefully I can wake up and it'll be over nice and early too, which sounded pretty sweet. So I wound up joining, uh, you know, always challenges. They're quite fun. They're very, <laughs> very different from leagues uh, as, you know, I kind of suspected, but then I learned again. I chose to take a Bant Arayo deck. This is uh, the Simic version that we have with Karn. But I cut the ancient stirrings and trimmed a couple things down to three to add three to fairy uh, the fun raveler. Unfortunately, not very budget friendly. But then also ethosworn cannonist because we just wanted to kind of see that thing. And uh, you know, cannonist with the Raya was pretty much a hard lock. And cannonist is stuff just very interesting card. Like maybe you can get lucky and it'll just hose them. Uh, you know, challenges. It's a, it's a killer throw. My first match was against Batuina on green white titan, and I lost in a close three. Uh, but you know it was a lot of fun it was a close match uh game the next round i beat a titan player uh i wound up 4-3 overall uh it was pretty interesting it was like all you know no random decks there six out of my seven opponents had trophy leader uh avatars so like actual just like some of the best players on magic online play and it, it's a lot of fun uh the unfortunate thing is that i don't think these changes fix anything with the deck Teferi, the fun album, was of course busted, uh, felt great, but Canonist uh, was not good in this meta, but you know, when you're facing Titan, four color money, and all those sorts of things, like Canonist, it just, its effect doesn't really do much. It was pretty sweet though, I was 3-3, my final round I got to play against Ad Nauseam, which was already like the deck's best matchup, because you have like turn two Karns and you can flip a Ryo, uh, but now you have three Teferi, and you know, you can repeal their uh, Lotus Boom and their upkeep. But now we get uh, three Teferi Funravelers, and then we also get Aethers from Canonist. And man, it was just like, I've never had more of just like a not even trying and just blowing up at my opponent. <laughs> it was great. It was, they had no chance. It was just, I felt kind of bad for them, but also, you know, I didn't, couldn't really feel too bad for them. Uh, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. I would love to play in more challenges. Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's a lot of time commitment, like, you know, seven rounds on a weekend of just having to stay by your computer and, you know, you get maybe like 20 minutes between rounds, depending if like how fast your deck is. And it's, it's an investment, but you know, the reward, you do get to play against the best of the best of the best, like a whole bunch of people, you know, on trophy leaders, those sorts of things. And it's a good way to test yourself and also your deck, especially with these brews, you know, like every time I run into a four color money pile. It's like, all right, you know, this is one of the best decks in the format. If my brew can keep up, that's probably a good sign. Put up or shut up kind of situation. Yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I think I learned a lot. Uh, I learned that I don't think the band splash is worth it, at least for this configuration. And Canonist might be more of a pipe dream, unfortunately. I never, I actually never got to set up the Canonist or IO lock, uh, which was rather unfortunate. But as it goes. We, we had the Esper deck, though, that did 
go to the very top of of, uh, of the, the Saturday challenge. No, the Sunday challenge, the one you played in. Um, no, I played in so, the one the week previous. Okay, got it. So, timeline. Um, but wh what do you see as the significant changes that they made uh, versus the version that uh, we were we were working on? Yeah, I mean, this Esper list is really sweet. Uh, good old Wub. Uh, yeah, wub. I, mean, I know. I love that Wub. wub, wub. <laughs> we used to call these dubstep. Back in the I day. was about to say, are, are people still making dub? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> oh, fortunately, I miss me. I miss me the age of dubstep. That joke in Deadpool Two did not go far enough. Mm, agreed. <laughs> I needed more. I needed more dubstep fight scene. I just like for real talk. It, whatever dubstep is worth, it, it makes a great fight scene. All right. Yeah. For, oh for yeah. A, yeah. For a triple A production house to put on a superhero fight scene, dubstep is a quality choice. Just like um, uh, I, I want to say, Electronica was for Mortal Kombat in the early nineties. Oh, that film's great. Okay. Okay. Oh, it is Classic. the best kind of bad movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so it's so. It's one good. of the better fighting movies. Be, <laughs> one of the better video game movies of yes. all time. I have to agree. And you 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 can try to find a full five good video game movies and you will almost definitely fail. I think two of them came out in the last year, so... <laughs> which is oh, yeah? which, Sonic. Which ones would Sonic you... the Hedgehog. Oh, yeah, Sonic and was really good. And then Detective Pikachu. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I oh, that one's well, good. Oh, well, you know what? It's just, just blowing me away with this. <laughs> this is why we need a fourth person sometimes. <laughs> Concise, topical I will, I will. And I've seen both those movies. Yeah, I will oh. recommend if anyone likes fighting games and wants to see films of fighting games, do not watch the King of Fighters film. It is goddamn awful. Like it's <laughs> terrible. Now, now Street Fighter. Where is that on the? Amazing. Uh... Yeah. Okay. The good, amazingly, in, in, bad. amazingly bad. Yeah. And it has one of the best quotes yeah, from yeah. like any film. Yeah, because the one thing you don't want out of your out of your bad movies is a bad movie that's a little okay. Yeah, for sure. It, it really has to be a complete train wreck. What's the quote? Absolutely, and the best quote is when um, Bison talks to Chun Li about destroying her city, uh, destroying her village and her family and stuff. And to him, it was only a Tuesday. Like that is one of the best lines from the film. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. All right. So now we've got the list up. So uh, Monastery Mentor is back. So because you were not playing Mentor. Uh, in your bait list? Uh, not in the. I actually had one in the main deck, but this is this. Okay. Esper list is really interesting. It reminds me a lot of the bait list that I first messed with. You'll, if uh, anyone recalls, my initial Iraya uh, list was bent for Monastery Mentor, uh, and then mm. on the podcast, Zach and Brian suggested, "What if you cut that and add Karn?" And okay, like that sounded pretty sweet, and that was a good change. But this list goes back to Monastery Mentor. So real quick, it's four Arayo, one Spellskite, four Emery, one Luris, four Mentor, one Tassiger, definitely some Spice, four Teferi Funravelers, of course, four Appeal, three Thought Scour, three Unearth, two EE, four Bobble, four Amber, one Aether Spellbomb, one Soul Guide Lantern, and 19 Lands. So this is the same, you know, just like Repeal, your ZRCMC things, the Flick Arayo. Uh, I've messed around in, you know, a lot of things in this space. I have a list that's pretty similar to this one, except I didn't go quite as ham on Teferi Funraveler, which is probably a mistake. I also really like Tide Hollow Scholar in these sorts of lists, as, you know, like you turn, you cast your turn one or turn two Emery, and then you can cast color from the yard, which feels pretty sweet. Uh, the one thing I was really curious, I also think it probably needs, uh, like, two or three Luris in these shells. I like 
I normally play through Lurses and they're really good. Like if you, some of the best starts happen when you mill your Lurus and then you unearth it on like turn one or turn two and then you just cast a bobble from the yard and then you're just going to get so far ahead. Uh, it, it's kind uh, yeah, of... The the innocuous piece of technology that they found, because you were the one that, as far as I know, sort of figured out that Unearth was completely insane in these shells, um, because you have super high-value creatures, um, and then also it has the sort of game theory advantage of when you get turn one Thoughtseize. I know there's not a huge number of Thoughtseize decks around, but if you have Unearth plus another valuable card, they have to take the Unearth, because Love all that. of your super great threats cost three or less, and they can't give it to you for one black. So... Um, and on your way, I mean, even in challenges, but in leagues too, you're you're going to run into Thoughtseize decks. There's still something that people play, and you want to have some game against them. This well, this deck just presents so many must-kill creatures. Um, I mean, out of everything that I'm looking at here, I don't think there's a lot of fluff here at all. Whereas, like in the in the blue-green shells, we were always playing something like Kinnon, or sometimes even some mana creatures, and those are so much less of a priority than any of the creatures in this deck. Um, I mean, so I, I see that as a significant bump. I'm not sure if I agree with that. You know, like Kinnon with your Mox Ambers and your Springleaf Drum, Kinnon is a must kill threat, or else you're going to have like four mana from tapping two permanents, which is kind of nuts. Yeah, this is still. Right, but. Uh, you know, I think. You need to have cards to work with there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, the thing I was really wondering is how does. How does this deck use Arayo? Like, is is Arayo? Because the more that I've been tweaking the banter and the Simic list, the more I'm kind of realizing that I think Arayo might just not be the best card for the slot. It's probably the most fun card for the slot, uh, but it's a very high variance card where you know you can flip it on turn two and you can pretty much win any matchup. But if you draw it on turn four with an empty hand and like, you know, these these decks have trouble coming from like doing well when they're behind. That's what I noticed in these uh, in the Simic Arayo shell too. That once you're behind, it's pretty hard to catch up. Well, Uro was a huge help with that. Uh, but So I was really curious if, you know, maybe Arayo in this shell is a little bit better. There's also the one thing I thought maybe that could be an advantage is you have Unearth for Arayo, which if you mill it over, kind of gives it a second life. It gives it a second thing. Uh, real quick, I do want to say the Soul Guide Lantern should probably be a Nile Spell Bomb. Nile Spell Bomb is, like, nuts. It's so good. Especially if you're playing Nile, if you're playing Black, it should definitely be a Nile Spell Bomb. Uh, but, you know, I, I'll... Yeah, so, I think, Zach, you actually played this. I just watched a whole bunch of people stream it, and the deck was sweet. It did have this problem that I noticed that if you don't have a Monastery Mentor, there's almost, like, no way to win, which is actually kind of made me feel pretty good, because in the Simic version, you know, if you don't find your Uro and, like, you don't find your Karn, you kind of have trouble winning and closing out the game, too. So it's nice to see that even in these different shells, uh, you kind of have these parallels. Uh, but... I'll kind of let Zach take it over, but this was, you know, many props for kind of bringing back Arayo. I still, you know, I think probably Arayo should just be cut and maybe put like just four Dark Confidant or three Dark Confidant and extra Luris. You know, so I kind of go something like that route. Uh, but th this deck is sweet yeah. and, you know. I mean, there's definitely tweaks to be made to it that will suit your particular play style or the particular meta that you think you're going to run into. Uh, I took it through a league and uh, annihilated Mono White Hammer Time, where they just conceded after game one because they, they just weren't, weren't having it. Um, but then I ran into the, the M. Hayashi deck and Zoo, and both of those decks just threw down a couple creatures right off the bat, and your main deck configuration is just pretty useless against that. Um, and then they're, they're fairly well equipped to kill you in game two, which, which both of them managed to do. 
Um, so I, I do agree with you that once your opponent has established something, it's a lot harder for you to deal with. It's not impossible. I mean, the, the tools are there, but it's definitely like a little bit more cumbersome. You're hoping for a lot more mid-range and control matchups. Um, and then there was a very close matchup against Belcher where it could have gone either way. Um, it was just a, a whole whole mess of, of poor luck um, for me <laughs> to lose against uh, Oops All Belcher. I'm um, very So, yeah, I mean, I, I think this deck is some, certainly something to keep an eye on. Um, it might be just one of those things that pops up as a result of a very specific meta and we never see it again, but uh, time will tell on that one. So, Emma, what are your thoughts on these style decks or a deck like this? Have you played them at all? Have you seen them played? Uh, have you so, played against them? So, I haven't played against it. I, I tuned into Zach's stream last night just to see some of it because I've... I've I remember the card from Commander because it is banned in Commander at one point. Oh yeah, so it's just like why is right. it why is this this banned Commander card playing in Modern? Like I'm curious about it. It looks really sweet. <laughs> Admittedly, it's not something I would play myself. However, I can respect the creativity because Modern, at least for me, feels like it's a brewer's paradise. You can play anything and do really well with it. It's so open right now, and that's where Modern should be. And for people like us, it's great because we can just try anything and do really well with it. Um, yeah, it's it's not my kind of deck to be honest, but I can respect mm -hmm. it as a as a you know as a tier two tier three option. And it, honestly, I would not be surprised to see someone win a challenge with this and just wipe tables. Um, yeah, it's fun to watch. Like it's really really cool. But uh, I I'm I'm always curious to see new brews. And you know, I remember when Five Color Niv first came to you know came around in modern, and I was like, oh man, this is sweet. Like you know. Why, what's this trade binder deck? It, what's it, this trade binder deck? Doing, and it was you know? a budget deck because <laughs> everything in it was Pillar of the Parents yeah. was like a one dollar card and paper. Niv Mizzet was a one dollar mythic. I got mine for I think it was two dollars mm. each. And then it spiked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. People did good work. Yeah. People did good work. So um you know, with the way we've been looking at these challenge results, I, someone's got a note here and I believe it's uh, Arun that uh, you, you feel like the modern's moving in a, in a more solved direction. And I, I don't know if I agree with that because we, we see, I mean, this black-red mid-range deck is pretty new um, and that's popped up. And more to the point, I mean, not only do we consistently have uh, innovations happening, but the, the on balance, um, the known decks that bubble their way into the top eights uh, are changing in proportion all the time. I mean, we don't have a lot of results for the four-color money pile this weekend, um, which is appropriate to today's topic. <laughs> money pile is not uh, the best strategy in modern right now, and I'm sure lots of people are rejoicing. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the more budget decks like uh, Blue Moon, managing to make it up there from time to time, or Ad Nauseam, or, you know, so um, Ad Nauseam is, I think, the premier spell-based combo deck right now if we want to get overly technical with how you want to, you know, uh, put labels on things. But there's multiple different land-driven decks. There's multiple mid-range decks that are successful. So I really think, you know, there's 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 stuff that's um, that's changing every every single week we look at this. So I don't know if we're moving in a direction of solved. And we're, we're getting towards the release of Kaldheim. Like, mm. you know, it's on, our, it's on its way. I'd like so. to make a note. So... 
to be honest, like the best deck in modern, I think, is the Green White Titan deck. The only reason people mm. aren't playing it enough is because people don't know how to play it properly. It's the Amulet Titan problem of it is so mm. so finite. There's so many lines. It's so sequence heavy. It's very difficult to pick up. I think if a lot more people were willing to put the time in, there would be a lot more Titan decks because I do think that is the best deck. It's just it attracts a certain kind of player and not everyone wants to, you know, put their hands in their heads for 20 minutes and think, I have this, I just need to figure it out kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think that resonates. Um, I mean, I also think that it can, the format can both be approaching solved, but still very broad, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think what we're seeing is churn because a lot of these decks can naturally prey on one another. And so there may be a very wide band of best decks that are just sort of like rotating through the challenges because people are, you know, sort of predicting the metagame and, and coming with the best t uh, uh, choice among a tier one deck. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I, I think that uh, there's probably like, you know, 10, 12 best decks right now that are all just sort of preying on one another. But when things are that wide at the top, it really opens up um, for like tier two and tier three decks to, you know, make these appearances and pop in because you can't, you know, get super specific in your sideboard plan. You have to have these sort of broad answers, which leaves cracks for, you know, some of the lesser known decks to pop up on occasion. But I, I think that's good. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with like, quote unquote, being solved in that regard. The problem is when you have like, you know, two or three decks that are just going to be, you know, 45, 50% of the meta. And that's when you can start to have these like super tight sideboard plans. And it sort of, um, as a consequence, squeezes out some of the, you know, tier two, tier three decks that may just incidentally get hit by these sideboard cards. Mm. I, well, I guess yeah. it's just a different perspective on it. Yeah, I, I, I want to second what Brian said. Like, I do, I agree. You know, I mean, <laughs> kind of feels like cheating, but I do think it is still heading towards solved. However, it's still very diverse. You know, as modern is like the top decks are known, and yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna yield to what Brian said because I, I agree with all of it. Thing is, with modern though, like a different deck wins each week. <laughs> like something else, something completely yeah. different is gonna win next week, and everyone's like, oh, I need to prepare against I don't know, like five color niv or harden affinity again. Oh, do I have to play stony silences again? Because no one's been playing that card for <laughs> ages. Um, and yeah, yeah it's you just, don't need to play those. I love the yeah. fact that a different deck win, wins each week. It's just it's it's really refreshing. It's not you know we're long past the time of like Hogax and Arclight Phoenixes. So it's really yep. refreshing. I, I mean, I love that a different deck wins each week. But more, what I like is to see a very differently diverse top eight, top sixteen, top thirty-two every week and, I, and that's what i've been consistently seeing so that's yep. w whatever we're going to call that uh, broadly solved or specifically open i think it's um, i think it's just I... if you're if you have a deck that you you are very well versed in you will do really well great examples aspiring spike with ban um ephemerate like that is a mm -hmm. that is a really good meta deck however not everyone's just going to pick that up and do really well with it if you're like an archetype specialist you're going to do really well because you just know all these offbeat tools to, to counter these decks which is where which is why we brew that's what the best one of the best benefits right. and so as long as you're doing something powerful yeah um you 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 can do well yeah. so like we we saw a miracles deck straight up no snapcaster mage four terminus zero uro miracles 
uh, was in sixth place <laughs> in the challenges, and that's just like wild. Um, and not even leaning on ca counterbalance. Oh. The only crazy card in here is like terminus, and then everything else is just blue white good stuff. But I guess if everything's so, like permanent heavy, it kind of makes sense, right? It does. It does do. And and then the things that are trying to exploit the term permanent heavy decks by going over the top, uh, like oops, all spells and ad nauseum. Oh. Uh, Blue White's going to have a nice clean game against them because they're not wasting a lot of time on uh, sort of permanent interaction. Yeah. Okay, right. so that that was <laughs> a lot of stuff, and I believe our first ever hot take from a guest because Woo. the rest of us are overly measured with our expectations. Anywho, moving on to project updates. Brian, did you find uh, a Wurza deck to play? I did want to spend some time looking at Wurza uh, in this brief period where we didn't have another slated project. And I sort of, I, I had the idea that going into green was what I wanted to be doing. I wanted access to Assassin's Trophy for some of these lands. Uh, I wanted Abrupt Decay. I wanted Veil of Summer. Um, and actually, the, the thing that I thought might be kind of spicy is adding uh, Nissa of Shadowed Bows to the main deck, um, and then some number of Emery. Um, so my biggest problem with Emery and Wurza decks has been milling over an Urza feels pretty terrible, um, and you unfortunately can't unearth Urza. I think that he should have been printed at three mana, because that would have been <laughs> just like way more fair. Because he's I not, mean, he's yeah, not powerful card. enough, got it. <laughs> Uh -oh. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Or, or my argument: we should have printed it at five so that he can't get Skyclave apparitioned because that's also very frustrating. <laughs> mm, yeah, fair. I you know, maybe we should talk to uh, to design. I think if they reprint him at five, but with a cost reduction for the number of artifacts <laughs> you have in play, if you control at least two artifacts, metal cost three less to play. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give him metal craft. Yeah, there you go. I like it. I like it. We should we should design oh, cards. Oh, Modern clearly. Horizons Two is going to be awful. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I thought maybe uh, Nissa would be a good addition to be able to recur Urza, um, and yeah, I uh, you know threw a Torpor Orb in the main. I got a, a little bit of spicy tech here with some Scrap Trawlers. I thought you know play into the graveyard side of things a little bit more. Um, I didn't actually even bother with the league on this one. I took it into some tournament practice rooms. Um, I ran it through a couple of matches. Uh, interestingly, I won all of the matches I played. I did go up against a couple of meta decks. Um, well, mm -hmm. I guess if you consider Jund meta. I, I oh, yeah, 100%. Jund. I played against um, Is It Prowess. Um, the deck definitely had grind, uh, but it just didn't quite work out the way that I had anticipated um you know i had jammed a dark steel citadel in there with the idea that like oh cool you know i have another target for nissa i can animate this uh and every time that i had an opportunity to animate a land i was too worried about it getting blown up even with the dark steel citadel i was playing against a green white titan deck and i was like you know I don't really want to see this path. I know I get another land, but like I kind of want the Darksteel Citadel. <laughs> um, 
and I actually I never got to recur in Urza with her either. Um, so my big mm. takeaways were that actually I think there is some space to brew in Sultai. Uh, I was very happy with the trophies, the abrupt decays, the Veil of Summers. Uh, actually, Maelstrom Pulse was great against the Prowess decks. Um, nothing better than watching your opponent go turn one, soul scar, turn two, soul scar, soul scar, and Ooh. then just turn three, maelstrom pulse. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> feels so good. Bet that feels good. Oh, it was great. It was great. That was a, that was a conceit on the spot. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that there's probably some room there. Um, and actually there's been some discussion in the Wurza discord with some of the, uh, Wurza diehards about possibly dipping into Sultai as well. Um, you know, a year ago when I was playing this, uh, the four color version was kind of my go to because green just adds so much. Um, but with our loss of Astrolabe, sadly, the mana is a lot harder in four <sighs> colors. Um, yeah. The other big takeaway that I had was that Nissa is actually a super sweet card, and uh, oh. just because it's topical, incredibly cheap right now. Like a two dollar mm. Planeswalker. Um, I think that she is very underexplored. I know that it's kind of hard in the four CMC space because there are such powerhouses out there, but um, I, I think that she's definitely worth you know exploring and building around a little bit more because her abilities are are pretty sweet. Um, you know. Even just untapping that land to, to have a little extra mana production is pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty interesting. You know, I've, my one concern is kind of like you mentioned, the four slot is so powerful. You know, like instead of Nissa, you've got Jace the Mind Sculptor, you've got Karn the Great Creator. You know, just like I don't, I don't know. There's even Tezzard Agent of Bolas, which is another very artifact friendly thing that doesn't get much play, but is still a pretty powerful card in general. Like. I mean, Nissa seems cool, definitely worth testing, but, you know, ultimately, would it would it be better than a Tezzeret or a Jace or even a Karn? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Brian? The, the play pattern that I would want to see as much as possible is on the turn I cast Nissa, I then play and crack a fetch land and then either reanimate or drop an Urza in from my hand. I mean, I'm sure that's what you saw, but you said it happened zero times in, yeah. in a league, so that's <laughs> yeah. not heartening. <laughs> I mean, she was only a two of in my deck. Um, yeah. I I don't think she's right for these Wurza lists. I, I was just speaking more broadly. I think she's mm -hmm. worth looking mm -hmm. at. Um, I would probably want to be playing her with some number of Arboreal Grazers or um, um, Sikora Tribe, uh, Scout, or Elder, whichever one is the one that, that allows you to drop an extra land. Um, you know, I think that mm -hmm. you want to be ramping really hard early and then hopefully incidentally milling something that you can bring back, you know, way ahead of curve. Mm. Um, and, you know, simultaneously being able to do things like, you know, make six drops on, on turn four or whatever. So maybe she fits in a, a prime time deck or something like that. Um, I'm I not really sure. You I know, think but. she could be quite good in like a budget Golgari rock deck because more often than not, you do run a higher land count because you run stuff like Tireless Tracker. And like along something mm. with her and Fielder, that just feels really good. And I think that's a good way to go about it as well. Because yeah. like you, you still get the lands off from Fielder Dead. Um, or Fielder Ruin, sorry, not Fielder Dead. Um, but yeah, I agree she's underexplored. I'm surprised she's not seeing playing standard, but with Kaldheim coming, I would not be surprised to see her pop up a little more. Because four mana is like a decent rate for a planeswalker for what she does. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's the the really cool thing uh like zach pointed out is playing the the fetch land on the same turn because you can immediately mm. ult her uh if you crack a fetch because you get those those two you drop the fetch you get one loyalty you crack it you get a second loyalty and she's now at six so you don't even kill her when you alter yeah and then i guess if um you had something like because because you're playing green i have to think that you'd be playing primeval titan obviously not in a rock deck but if you had enough lands in play you could use the nissa as a four mana uh, reanimation spell um mm. where you don't need it to be a fetch land you just play her play a land and then you minus five her and she's gone but uh you you do get to drop in something with two plus one plus one counters and if the if it has an etb that's worth you know a card like uh titan is then you're you're in great great shape there well if the name of a deck is the most important part of the deck and we start with golgari rock and prime time we could call the deck rock time yes and that sounds pretty sweet (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there were there were black green titan decks for a little while Mm -hmm. Uh, yes and blue green titan decks ti- there, was a, there was a rainbow of titan decks for a yeah, little while yeah it's titan of every pretty much every color isn't there like <laughs> green white you had black green you had your simic ones and then the absolute classic yawn of red green yes just mm. titan shift yeah. good old yeah. titan shift mm. just wonder, get them dead i wonder if titan's a good card you know it seems to fit into all these colors <laughs> <laughs> jerry's still out it, it, it might be onto something there mm. yeah i don't know i don't know well, if you want to talk about deck names, you sent you you put something very speculative <laughs> uh, that I for some reason decided to run through a league, Brian. It's it's mono rad artifacts. Now you didn't call it that, but I decided to mis mistype the title. Um, so this is your your Goblin Engineer Tron deck. So <laughs> what were what what were you thinking, sir? Uh, I love Goblin Engineer, and um, I wanted to find a good home for it that wasn't just a Wurza deck. I, like, I, I wanted it to do more than just tutor up Sword of the Meek. Um, and um, uh, one of the uh, members of our Discord, Texas Toph, had uh, pointed out to me, which somehow, after having read the card like a billion times, it did not register to me that Goblin Engineer can entomb an artifact at any CMC. It can only uh, bring back an artifact of three CMC or less, but it can entomb anything. And so with that, I decided that uh, some number of trash for treasure could be playable. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, you know, maybe entomb a worm coil and then trash for treasure it out, something like that. Uh, I added a couple of value artifacts like Icker Wellspring for some card draw the modern staple classic of servo schematic to uh, produce some servos, um, you know, things like chromatic star and, and whatnot. But I also uh, got a little wild. So in the uh, Faithless Brewing um, Community League, uh, our final week was 2014 Modern. And I figured, uh, you know, if we're playing 2014 cards, so this is pre-cons, um, Tron had to be one of the more powerful things to be doing. So I was playing a Tron Kadoltha Forge Master brew that was looking to sort of combo off with Lightning Greaves and Koldotha Forge Master, bust out a Blightsteel Colossus, and uh, attach the Greaves and swing in for a win. Um, so I kind of combined these two ideas uh, and 
put you know Tron and Cold Oath of Forge Master and Blightsteel Colossus in with the Goblin Engineer package. Um, the thought was kind of I can tutor for the Forge Masters if I need to with the Goblin Engineers. Uh, the Forge Master gives me a way to put more artifacts in the graveyard, and um, it also provides a, a good plan if the graveyard gets shut off for some reason. Um, and so tying all of this together, I jammed in some scrap trawlers and some mirror retrievers to be able to just do a lot of graveyard recursion <laughs> with artifacts. It sounds great. Yeah, insane. And and it was. Uh, in the very first match, uh, we 2 owed Sven Svetersven. Who was playing the um, who's playing Mardu Stoneblade on the day? Um, so, uh, yeah, just uh, Blightsteel Colossus was unbeatable. Uh, <laughs> but I do think, as I'm looking at it now, um, with with having played the league now, we need to uh, steal uh, Everts' uh, uh, signature move. We need to be uh, entombing uh, Platinum Empyrean. That's what we need mm. to be doing. All right, and then. We need to be going up to the full four Trash for Treasure yep. and the full four Koldotha Forge Master. And I think with that going on, then we have we have something here. <laughs> uh, but as I said at, at the wrap-up um, on my stream, I do think we could easily go into another color. Now, I'm not sure we actually want to do that. I'm just saying we can. Um, and we did go in Achievement Unlocked. In the very first league we played with it, we did hard cast Blightsteel Colossus. Hey. Oh, yeah. Which was Mana Leaked. Oh, oh man. man. Hey. But, uh, but I do have a screenshot for posterity <laughs> of, of hard casting Blightsteel Colossus with two mana remaining and having it Mana Leaked, which Brutal. I guess was slightly less humiliating than if it had been remanded. Mm -hmm. but. <laughs> Ouch. Um, uh, and then in terms of weird technology that I tried out for the sideboard, I did try out um, Blood Sun. So if you really hate um, four-color money pile, Blood Sun is surprisingly great against them. Um, <laughs> Blood Moon might be better, but this is a Tron deck, so it's a little tricky to, uh, to be playing Blood Moon and also think that any of your deck is going to continue to function as normal. But then again, we do have these unfair ways to cheat stuff into play. So maybe if you were going to do that... Um, uh, if you're counting on Blood Moon to actually shut them down pretty hard, you might be able to still win the game with it out. Bears, bears the experiment. This reminds me, so at one point I built a Mono Red Tron deck with Trash for Treasure. Um, Ooh. This was a bit older, so this was around the time of Ixalan, so it does need revising because Goblin Engineer does go in now. Um, I ran Trash for Treasure and Combustible Gearhulk. Yeah. Ooh, okay, and Combustible Gear Hulk is is within the realm of castable. Yeah, because it's an artifact yeah. as well, so you can get it off Trash for Treasure. Um, and yeah. I run stuff like Blasphemous Act so, so as like a board wipe because you can bring them back. Um, also ran Duplicant as like a tutor option as well because it gets rid of like a, a, a tricky creature. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun because you either draw the cards or you kill them by revealing like two Blasphemous Acts. It's great. That sounds yeah, sweet. Duplicant is like... Is like your artifact skyclave apparition. Yeah, it's not as good, Get but I'll take arrow. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's five. It's an artifact. Yeah. It's never going to be as good, right? Like on rate, but uh, but it does get rid of an uro, and then you have a six six. Mm. So, in in a way, it's a little bit better. I mean, if we just remove cost, <laughs> you should you should so, yeah, ship that, us the that was that was the wackiest. Oh yeah, sorry, I um. Oh, I pulled and, it up to post oh, it. I mean, also I Emma, too. You should ship us your Red Tron list. That sounds yeah, sweet. Yeah, I, I need to update yeah. it. 
because it's about three years old. But yeah, once I do, I'll put it in the uh, put it in the Discord. Got it. Got it. I might even write about it. Twenty nineteen cards. Yeah, I, I get a lot of people asking about it just because you know it's not you know it's unconventional Tron and Trash for Treasure is just a really great card. So. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I will say from playing Dice Factory, like just just pl playing with Tron is fun. Yes. And uh, <laughs> playing something that isn't green Tron. Uh, is always kind of interesting because your opponent has that huge exhale moment where they realize you're not playing Green Tron, and then you do something like Blightsteel Colossus to them, and they go, oh. Oh, it's the, it's the classic, you know, oh, I've got time for Tron, oh, I'm going to get calm. Then they play two Maori Shapers, and then you win the game. Yeah. Woo! Love yeah, that. That, that, is, that is one of my favorite moments in a yeah. league where they when they start casting Eldrazi at you, and you're like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Maori Shaper. <laughs> We've still got a game here. Okay, okay, good, good, good. Um, so I know we covered um, all this Areo uh, mm -hmm. shenaniganery while we were talking about uh, the challenge. Um, so what else we got? Oh man, Jiggy. Oh, oh yeah. So you I want to talk about this this other spice. Definitely, I love this deck. So I actually jumped into a league. I slightly modified the Grixis Lazavlis list that we had been working on previously. Uh, and, uh, you know, because I was curious seeing the Mentor deck duels, like, oh, Unearthed Arayo, like, seems like that might be something that the Banter, the Simic version, lacked. So I slotted in uh, some Arayos into that deck, too. And, you know, maybe Lazav can copy an Arayo. You can flip the Lazav. That sounds pretty sweet. I jump into my first match, and it's against four-color money. I go turn, they are on the play. My turn, I go turn one bow mat. They go turn two, Ren six, ping my bow mat. On uh, my turn, I cast two more bow mats, swing down their Ren and six. I'm like, all right, you know, maybe we're in this. They go next turn, Ren and Six, Lightning Bolt, and it's just like, well, we're kind of out of it now, and Ren and Six is a busted magic card, and I felt so betrayed by Ren and Six, because I love Ren and Six, and I play that card a lot, and when it just crushes me, feels kind of bad, and then it's like, you know, why am I not playing Ren and Six? This card is busted. And uh, so after kind of getting thwomped by very nice, by very good decks, I figured, you know, just like... <laughs> I want to play a little dirty too, and at heart I'm a dirty combo player, I try and hide that, but you know, every time I pick up a combo deck, it's like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a dirty combo player. And so, I, you know, I love Ren 6, Uro, Kinnon, all this stuff, so I took uh, the standard Jiggy Pile Shell, and in my flex spots I included the Breach combo. So I have uh, 18 lands, 4 Bobble, 4 Amber, 2 Galv Blast, 3 Goose, 3 Drum, 1 Thassa's Oracle, 4 Underworld Breach, Four Renin Six, three Kinnon, four Grinding Station, four Emery, four Uro, and three Explosives. And this, you know, this deck kind of has two ways to win. One is you escape Uro five times until your opponent finally scoops, and then B, you just you just <laughs> breach them out. Twenty twenty. Yeah, no, it's you know it's crazy. Like that was actually against Jund. I escaped Uro four turns in a row, and then they finally scooped. Like fatal push, dread bore, fatal push. Please stop. Jund is the greatest victim of Uro. Oh yeah, I mean, yes. they're still busted. I've, I've lost a Junt even with these Uro piles. Oh no, you, I mean you can, but it's just it 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 is it just crushes them on the axis that they want to play so hard. Oh yeah, um, I love it. I don't. It, it's they they can outrace it sometimes, but it's it's definitely uh, been the most devastating blow to Junt, even though Croxo was one of the greatest gifts that they got. So. <laughs> yeah, Theros I... Theros takes with one hand, <laughs> gives with the other. I, I did not feel bad crushing Jund. I used to play Cheerios all the time, and so I would get annihilated by Jund. Mm. Uh, so and now whenever I so, crush Jund, I don't feel bad. 
So you, you found some measure of success with this deck because um, back in the Grinding Breach days, so this combo's been off the map for a little while. So for anyone who missed it, uh, Grinding Station and Underworld Breach together, along with any zero mana artifact, allow you to grind through your entire deck, um, turning your you know cardboard into as much chaff, um, and then you will eventually find and cast your Thassa's Oracle and win the game. Uh, it's a very compact combo that for a small amount of time, uh, some very, very high tier players were, gonna, were saying it was going to be the most busted, must ban worthy <laughs> thing that ever happened, and then it wasn't, um, as is so often the case. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I'm not gonna call anyone out because you know these things happen. Um, but uh, you, you've managed to find some success because I did try a version that was essentially exactly this before, and I, I found no amount of success. Um, did you run into like any strong graveyard hate? Because I feel like that's a big vulnerability in the metagame right now. Nobody's playing Dredge. Nobody's playing Rest in Peace. Uh, and, and all the decks that would want to play Rest in Peace are playing out of their graveyard with Mystic Sanctuary. Yep. Yeah, I mean, actually, the only the graveyard hate I ran into was Jun playing main deck Nile Spellbomb, which is definitely a huge pain in the butt. But I mean, it's interesting because these Kinnon, these and piles they're always they're always pretty uh weak to graveyard hate in general even if you even before the breach you know like it was very hard to win to a resolve relic so adding the breach didn't really take away too much because you're al already pretty uh done you're you know you're in trouble if they are if they've got graveyard hate but overall you know i went 4-1 i beat jun i beat four color money bent ephemerate and green white titan a uh, green white titan did have bog but you know too little too late my heartbreaking loss was into a very close three to mono white hammer time uh where I unfortunately could not find any of my engineered explosives. I only I only had two main deck and one in the side at the time, but I think I realized that if you're playing EE in these sorts of decks, especially with Emery, you want four between main and side. Because the decks that you want EE against, you really want EE against. It's just so backbreaking. Uh, and yeah, they also, this was a slightly different version. I they, they weren't playing Memnites and Ornithopters, they were playing Giver of Runes. Uh, which it seems like a much better version because then you know like actually there were times I had blockers but they had uh, ink moth and they had an ink moth an ink moth nexus a hammer and then the giver and so they just gave this stuff pro green and swing past my geese for eleven in fact which was so so brutal and very unfortunate but honestly this deck felt kind of nuts like you know I didn't run into graveyard hate but without graveyard hate the station and breach is a two card combo and like you know eventually you'll find everything else you need. The turbo aspect was great, you know, drum, cannon, mocks. I had three turn three kills, actually, uh, just by drum. And I think even a turn two kill is possible if you go turn one, uh, drum, turn two, cannon, mocks, amber, station, breach. Uh, that is actually a turn two kill, uh, which is pretty... I didn't have any of those, but I have a couple turn three kills. You know, there are a couple places where, you know, like if I were just going to play the... Like if I were just playing a fair... Earl pile game against four color money I would have been in a lot of trouble but they had to tap out for something and then I just breached I just had I was holding a breach and uh, Emery milled a grinding station and that was game uh, which felt pretty sweet you know whole, the lines are pretty unintuitive and learning this deck is really hard because of all the clicking and what not to click and what to click and you never want to exile your Thassa's Oracle while you're escaping things or else you just kind of don't have a win condition uh, but I've got the reps for doing it, so I'm gonna definitely take this deck out for a run. And I, I would, I would say from working with you, this is probably the the, the jiggy wiggy uh, mark of insanity 
that tells me that someone's going to 5-0 with this soon, even if it's not you. Yeah. And we're going to see it pop up in a challenge. This has been the pattern. This is the <laughs> I mean, it felt so like, you know, sometimes I'll put these piles together and they feel like they're not very strong. They feel like they're in a lot of trouble or I'll even have a really good start, you know, like two Ren Sixes and a Lightning Bolt just ruins my day and then I'm just drawing off the top. Uh, but this deck, I mean, I think it's just having that instant win condition, that two card combo uh, was just, it was really sweet. There was actually this one game where I was going super grindy against Bant Ephemerate and we were going back and forth and, uh, you know, uh, Skyclave Apparition exile, exiling all my stuff and it was just a very grindy, very long game. I wound up winning with Gilded Geese and Grinding Stations by milling them out to zero cards because they were drawing a whole bunch of cards with Uro and Ephemerate and Ice Fangs and all those things. So I was making two food a turn and milling them for six. Uh, and then I just like sacrificed my board and I decked them. So that was also, this also came up, this line came up in, against four color money, but I chose to just go for the combo instead. Uh, but, you know, it, if you grind, you can just mill them out with Grinding Stations. So it's definitely really interesting. I like the deck a lot. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm a dirty combo player and this definitely confirms it. The one thing I'm slightly interested in is that a lot of these combo decks all share kind of similar win conditions. Uh, so if you think about this Breach deck, you have Underworld Breach and Thassus Oracle. Song of Creation is in these colors too. Altis is Thassus Oracle. Uh, the um, uh, Urza Softrathord. Uh, it has, you know, a bunch of artifacts, not quite in these colors, uh, but also uh, Goblin Engineer can grab Grinding Station along with Thopter Foundry along with Sword of the Meek. So I'm thinking about doing some 80 card Yorion amalgamation of just like all <laughs> all mix all combos. <clears throat> yeah, it, and you know just we hopefully we must go bigger. Yeah, we'll see. You know, maybe even add Jeskai Ascendancy in there because why not? You know, like Spicy. that kind of works well with Emery. Uh, and yeah, so this is something on the on the future. And then you know, I'm just I'm a sucker for Wish Claw Talisman. Like you know, with those if and it's like you know, Wish Wish Claw Talisman, Goblin Engineer. You know, you can just, like, even have this Plan B grindy game. I don't think this would be an Uro deck, and this definitely wouldn't be budget-friendly, so I'll probably hold off on this for a bit. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it seems, seems intriguing, and, you know, I've rediscovered my love for combo, unfortunately, uh, to a lot of people. I did actually, <laughs> in my first match, I wound up playing against a Faithless family member, Darshik, uh, in the league, who was on uh, Blue-Red Breach uh, Boil. And yeah, I felt pretty bad. He's a faithless family member, and you know, I'm playing a dirty, dirty combo deck. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You know, I wish, I wish I didn't have to beat you. I wish God, I could have beat someone random. Uh, but yeah, I kind of crushed him. This deck was pretty silly. Well, well done, man. Congrats. Keep yeah. your eye on Grinding Station, people. It is point three tickets right now. But again, on that uh, previous time, it became the best combo of all time. It spiked to 24.2. So if you like wow. high risk, or actually at this point, low risk, high reward investments, get ahead of the jiggy train. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we take a short break? And when we come back, we'll hop into the main topic. Welcome back. 
the main topic for this week is budget brewing, and it's a topic that's been on my mind lately for a number of reasons. Um, unfortunately, magic is not a cheap hobby in any sense of the term, uh, although there are budget avenues to pursue. Um, both paper and digital can be quite expensive. Uh, after the release of Magic Arena, prices of chase cards in new standard sets on MTGO have been going absolutely through the roof. Um, even sets that weren't available on Arena like Modern Horizons are home to a number of cards that can quickly blow out an MTGO ticks rental limit or price you out of playing decks that you want to play. Um, you know, <laughs> cards like Ren and Six, uh, Teferi Time Raveler. Um, Season Power Monster. You know, yep, yep. Uh, a bunch of these cards just are insanely expensive online, uh, which is the inverse of what we see in paper sometimes. So it's not even a clear uh, sort of one-to-one -one correspondence there. Um, but on the flip side, you know, cards like Fetchlands, Caverns, Cavern of Souls, and, and older cards uh, can spike in price in paper if they start to see tournament play. Um, and then when those cards blow up, you can get priced out of playing decks in paper. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the great bummers of our hobby. Um, even if you're loaded with cash and uh, can have whatever cards you want, though, um, brewing on a budget can be a pretty cool way to breed some creativity. Um, it can be easy to reach for the same old cards over and over when you're looking to fill a slot, and those cards tend to be best in class, so it makes sense that you'd want to play them. But stepping outside your comfort zone is a really great way to learn and grow. Yeah, I, I think this is the part that I'm most excited for, and especially you know to get Emma's help and Emma's perspective because the biggest issue I have with these, with exactly this point is that I think Teferi Funraveler is probably like the most egregious card in this, where if you are in blue and white and you need a three drop, uh, you know, like it's almost always the best in this class for what it does. I especially, I mess around with, you know, all these four color wild song creation, Omnath Bruise, like all, all this stuff. And you know, I sadly, Either I'll add Teferi or I'll choose not to add Teferi and then someone will take a deck will you know take a deck a list very similar to my list and they'll add Teferi and they'll do really well. Like for instance, I think a big reason the Esper Mentor deck is doing like did so well, like they play four Teferi Fun Ravelers. And it's yeah, it's just kind of you know, it's sad that the card like that is you know, like you said, best in this class, you kind of always play it. But also, you know, I'm I'm excited to see what you know, what can we replace it with? Like, what are some good alternatives that we can replace it with and still maybe get a similar effect or, you know, just get maybe even a more powerful effect? And whatever your reason for brewing on a budget as brewers, uh, I feel like we have a bit of an edge. You know, we're well acquainted with a broader card pool. We spend a lot of time trying to understand and evaluate cards. So I feel like we have a bit of a leg up on finding replacements. Um, and while not all cards do have easy replacements, there's usually a way to finish out a deck with a budget option. Uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, anyone here played Magic when they were a teenager, but I did not have <laughs> infinite amounts of disposable income. And, uh, nope. it, I, I remember having my allowance every week, and uh, about a quarter of that went to my F&M entry. And so you always had to figure out, you know, what $10 worth of cards you could upgrade your deck with. And you'd sort of have that, you know, $10 a week or something like that. Which, by the way, even for adults, this is a very reasonable way to go about things. You should uh, maybe budget, budget yourself like that from time to time on your hobbies. But um, 
just figuring out a, a sort of upgrade path for your deck was something I would do all the time, and I know that's something Emma takes a lot of um, time and effort to do for, for these things. So it's it's uh, basically what I'm saying is if you could go back in time and write your articles for me when I was a teenager, that would be great. Yes. Because that was not a thing so, that exists. So there's a really good saying in content that I kind of stick by is create the content you wish you saw when you were first starting out. And that's what I'm doing with the <laughs> yeah. modern on a budget stuff. Because I would have loved to have this stuff when I first entered modern when, you know, you don't really understand the format and you just hear that it's just so expensive. Look, when I got into modern, Splinter Twin, Twin was still a thing. So, you know, that, that's my first experience of the format. <laughs> and that was, um, that was pre-cons. So there was yeah. only enemy colored fetch lands. Yeah, so, so they were also exorbitantly a price. My, like, like, now, don't get me wrong. They're expensive now. But even more so I'm back sure then. proportionally. Yeah, um, yeah. So when I first entered modern, um, so my first set was M15 going into Khan's attack here so there was you, you know like fetch lands were just coming into it and it's just like everyone just goes on oh you can't play modern because you have to build this $1,500 deck which is always everyone always goes to Jund no matter what mm. they always go <laughs> yeah. to Jund and it's just like well you're not you're not really selling it to me there must be some other options you can do you're just focusing on the negatives and hopefully we can you know annul some of that yeah I, I the the idea of um you know uh the content you want to see as a kid or, or the content you want to see in general that was actually what made me quit magic when i quit so probably around 2000 um I, maybe in like 99 i attended my first fnm and i had been just a casual kitchen table player with a buddy of mine and we decided to go check out the lgs and we just got thoroughly trounced mm. by people with established decks and i mean this was like back in the time <laughs> of uh you know type one type two and, yeah. and that kind of stuff they didn't even have modern yet and i just remember like asking about how to upgrade my deck and people were like oh you should buy these cards and you should buy these cards and you should do this and i was just like i don't have the money for this that was it <laughs> I, I just dropped it all gave it up so, uh, so I, mean, yeah, I mean one of the things is when you're a teenager, you have so much more time than you have money, uh, and I it, mag magic is a game that can reward that. So uh, I, you know, I remember um, it was the Mirrodin format, and uh, Affinity was the scourge of the day, oh. and I just built a mono green pile of budget rares like Molder Slug and uh, Viridian Shamans and Oxidizes, and went to a tournament, and I went. 3-0 through the Swiss rounds until I ran into the one person who was playing blue-white control because I guess they knew how to, you know, uh, read some internet articles that were like, oh yeah, affinity is not the only thing you can be playing. Blue-white control is actually very good. And uh, I got demolished by Wrath of God, which uh, I still remember back in the day was something that you would just, you would never see someone who owned a copy of Wrath of God, much less four of them. Oh, cool, cool, cool times from from the past uh, and uh, I say mandatory plug here um, we're, we're not sponsored by anyone at this point although uh, we're listening people uh, but uh, card rental services so I mean I think uh, online magic arena and MTGO are, are uh, necessarily very popular right now and uh, the card rental services are I think they're phenomenal I mean in terms of budget I just there's there really is no comparison um, for the amount of freedom that you that you get from uh, buying in on a card rental service, how do you come down on that, Emma? Um, yeah, so I use Card Hoarder regularly. 
Um, they're the ones I've always had a really good experience with, great customer service. I like their loaning structure. Um, and for me, like we did an episode of this on the BM cast not too long ago about, you know, what, how to play magic online on a budget. And honestly, the best way to do it is just get like a $15 month subscription, just play for a month and play whatever you can get your hands on just to get used to it. And then because the biggest problem with modern is finding what you like, because there is so much choice. So just finding like three or four budget decks or three or four decks and just try them through like the competitive um, like rooms or the friendly rooms and just get an idea because process of elimination is such a huge part of it that people don't really put the time into yet. Yet they go online, like they go on an article and read, oh, I want to play who this, this pro player is playing because, you know, it's won a tournament. Therefore, I kind of want to play it. And then they spend so much money. And then they end up don't like not liking it, and then it's, mm. it creates this really awkward position that you are oh, spent all this money on a deck, don't actually like it. Whereas, yes, you're spending some money on Magic Online, but you're saving yourself money in the long run because you're figuring out what you do and you don't like. So these are really good options just to have in your arsenal, even if you just use it for a month and that's it. That's completely fine. You don't. You, there is no like contractual obligation. You can cancel at any time. So, I'm a big fan of the system. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, when I was working at an LGS, what I did um, to help people learn modern, because I, I noticed the exact same issue you did. Mm. So I put together a box of 20-plus uh, proxy decks, nice. all printouts, mm -hmm. full color, that people could walk in and they could say, oh, I, I, I want to I learn to play modern. Like, what, what do I do? And I'll go, well, just pick one of these decks, pick it up and start playing. Yeah because the, the best way to find what you're going to like to do is by playing it. You might think that you like a deck, and then when you actually sit down and play it, you're like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't care for this. <laughs> yep. I'm I, super I want that. to faithless looting into Phoenix's nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> very, yeah. very good option. That. You know. I mean, All right. That's um, definitely some great advice for getting into Magic, and especially mm -hmm. Magic Online. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think I want to emphasize... I've kind of fallen into the same trap a couple of times where, like, you see this deck, oh, this looks so sweet, I'm gonna, you know, like, rent the, or, you know, I'm thinking this, I have rent, like, I'll use a rental service, and, you know, like, oh, I'm gonna rent the cards for this deck, it looks sweet, you grab, you rent the cards, and it's like, wow, this deck is terrible, like, nothing's working, like, it's <laughs> and, just not and even a lot fun. Of people, and a lot of people associate their fun with results a lot of the time as yep. well, mm -hmm. um, so if they're not winning, they're not enjoying it, so even though the deck's perfectly fine and it's really good, if they don't win with it because they haven't played with it enough, they're just going to go, yeah, it's yep. terrible. I want something else because yeah, yeah. not, not to be cruel or crass here, but magic players can be quite lazy. And if they don't see results straight away, they just disregard it and then just move on to the next <laughs> thing. Whereas if you have a little Amen. bit of patience and understand that losing is an important process of the game, you, you'll do a lot better, but it's just whether people want to put the time or patience into it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's a hobby, right? It is. You, mean, got to, so you, you want to enjoy your hobby. Hobby implies so. fun, so you've got to do what what you enjoy, essentially. So exactly. Yeah. So if if staying in your wheelhouse is what it takes, then <laughs> that's, that's what it takes. Um, so uh, I don't know if we we address this, but I I always, you know, we're, we're we've got some scientists on here, some scientists. So I always like to break things down to the absolute basic terms. So what 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 do we consider? A budget deck, Emma. Do you have a specific number in mind? Because obviously, the word budget is going to be different for everyone. Yeah, this is it. So, so like, what do you work on? So, I so budget is variable on the person. So, it depends on their financial independence. It depends on their incoming uh, or income. Um, 
and it also just kind of depends on what kind of deck they want to play because if you want to build like budget Golgari Rock, for example, it's a what it's a thousand dollar deck on optimal. So on a budget, you probably want to be at like ten percent of that, ten fifteen percent on a budget, just so you can get the fundamentals down. I tend to work between fifty to one hundred and fifty dollars, depending on what the what the archetype is and mm-hmm. if any particular cards are required for that deck that you need to pick up straight away. Um, yeah, that that's kind of my wheelhouse, but it does vary. Just you know, because I don't think there is a blanket number. Just because there there's so many different kind of decks that do so many different kind of things, it's very hard to pinpoint. But that's where I that's kind of my wheelhouse. And if it's Pioneer, I'll probably go for like fifty and a hundred because the card pool is a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so touching on an important point there, which is there's just some decks which you will never be able to create a true budget version of because the mandatory say combo piece is like <laughs> Ad nauseum's a, a fantastic card. example because Angel's Grace is an absurdly right. expensive card. Even though Ad nauseum got reprinted right. in Double Masters, Angel's Grace and Lotus Blooms are still quite expensive. Um, I would put Amulet Titan in there as well because not necessarily because mm-hmm. it's you, not necessarily because the pieces are expensive. It's just that you cannot replace the cards on a budget level because the deck does a very very particular thing and it needs those cards to operate otherwise it's not an amulet titan deck so i get a lot of people asking oh do budget amulet titan i'm like no it's just not possible (laughs) just because it's it's such a meticulous deck it needs the correct tools to work and you can't replace it on a budget unfortunately there's uh, an, an interesting problem there too. It, they could reprint Amulet of Vigor, but they can't print a, n- a new functional copy of it, right? This like, is it. If there were eight Amulet of Vigors, what what world would we live in? If think, there were eight I think Friday Amulet of Vigor got reprinted, though. I think it was reprinted in Mystery Boosters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Ris- Mystery Boosters not a good reprint. Uh, no. Yeah, oddly enough. The, the prices on some of the Mystery Boosters cards are actually higher than the OG printing. Yeah, it's, it's a weird even one. Even when they're old cards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because, well, it's because the set has, I think it's 1,400 unique cards. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the, the basically, the, the way it affected the total pool of, of Magic cards is inconsequential. Yeah, um, and even then, when they do when they do reprint Amulet Vigor, it's in a secret layer, and it's highly you know limited right. as well. Or a Judge Promo. Or Judge Promo, or in a Commander Precon, or something that's just incredibly yeah. limited, so it just doesn't help the price at all. This is, yeah. this is why I am uh, a, a big fan of um, uh, Pleasant Kenobi's uh, um, uh, reprint Fetchlands. Uh, lobby because <laughs> we we just we need a reprint of the Fetchlands on the order of a standard legal set. Now I'm not saying it has to be in a f- standard legal set, but it should have been in Commander or something. What you need is a core set, but for modern and reprint it every year. That's what you need. You just need to reprint the Fetchlands, the Shocklands, stuff like Season Paramount, so Ren yeah. Six just because they're way too expensive and just have it every every year just have it print just reprint them without fail stoneforge mystics yep. a lot jace the mind sculptor yep. just every yeah. year just every year until until the price is i don't know yeah I, it, it, there's no just keep doing it just don't stop yeah <laughs> people will buy it every year you've got a guaranteed a fan time, base there plus and, and then the, the 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 tricky thing is always to go well we have to make it a good limited I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like I have a somewhat uh, controversial, unpopular opinion, but I think oh, that no. they need to move out of 
gating people on cards and instead start trying to like milk people for some of these aesthetic cards right like the secret layers are are brilliant when they're reprints uh in unique arts what i want is like you can pick up a modern deck for a dollar say it, just like every card is available even if they are artless no art, just text box, legal card. And if you want to pay for art, then be my guest. Because you know what? I would shell out for some of these. I, I love shopping. Seth McKinnon art. I love you know, Johannes Voss. Like, some of these artists are fantastic. And uh, Give me a Zach. blank box. I got a yeah. Sharpie. Well, I see you holding up the Sharpie, mm. and that's great. I think that proxying is like totally fine. My LGS used to do proxy um, um, legacy tournaments, and I think that's great. Uh, but it breaks down if you want to participate at the highest levels. And I, I, I think that, um, as with many things, if you make this game more broadly accessible to, you know, different people, uh, it's just going to help the health of the game overall. Like there are some brilliant people out there that could do some really cool things and, and brew up some amazing decks, mm -hmm. but you know, they don't have the, the financial ability to take these creations to, you know, a GP or the highest levels and show off what they're doing. And um, I don't know, you know, I, I Un yeah. Unfortunately, the exact point you made about, you know, doing the uh, the aesthetic versions and then doing a cheaper version. No, no, no. They, they just went with the other version of, wait, why don't we just do both? Why don't we make tons of money off the uh, yep. system we already have set up <laughs> and then also make extra money off of yep. secret layer versions of things. So yep. one thing I would like to see um which is what they did in standard is the standard challenger decks so re so bring back the modern event deck basically um because the standard challenger decks were really good for pioneer oh. like they were super mm. good for pioneer oh so my God. why can't we have one. something the modern red one's so good um and so, why, so, so why can't you have one for modern like i would love to see like modern event decks come back they did it some one time and it, had, it was like time. so good value because you got like an Elspeth and a Godless Shrine in it as well. It was so good. You got, I think it was four Path to Exile. Yeah, and some Lingwood Souls. You got four Path to Exile. Yeah, this like, is it. it I just, it, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. It, we'll do it for you, yeah. so you just hire us. We'll, we'll make some for you. Yeah. We'll print it. <laughs> for real. And, and, and the crazy thing is you could do four like every three months for yeah. probably ad infinitum because by the time you were five years into it, the first decks that you printed are in light supply, and uh, they've probably been updated. But anyway, yeah. we're, we're getting into a bunch of <laughs> speculative It's <laughs> not at all useful to anyone. So, um... Hire us, Watsy. The next... Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. Uh, maybe we've already said some things we can't take back. Um, so... Uh, we've got a question here with, from Brian, I believe, and it says, yeah. a lot of your articles are about taking a tier deck and converting it to a budget version. Do you have a general strategy for how you approach it, budgetizing decks? Ooh, I love that. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so for my Modern on a Budget series, I tend to work backwards. What I do is I take an optimized version, like the, the most complete version of the deck, and then I start pulling it parts away from it so i start looking at the land base can i do add some cheap options to that can i scrap a few cards like a couple of removal spells can i swap them with something else and it's hard to do because you don't want to steer too far away from the game plan because every deck's different every deck has a different win condition and different approaches um yeah it works for a good chunk of the bond decks but you just have to understand when you do this that you're not going to get the same results as you would with an optimized deck there are going to be some shortfalls 
because you know it magic is a little bit pay to win to some extent as much as people don't want to admit it um and yeah that's the way i go about it so i just work backwards and then just then then just do the guide and, and build it back up again yeah it's it's uh pay to participate is the um is the term that i like yeah for it because it's like you know when, when you when you think of um uh you know when i was a youth there were some sports that certain uh, kids, uh, myself included, couldn't participate in just because, you know, your family didn't have $800 to shell out in gear. Yes. Uh, you just couldn't participate. Didn't matter how good of a player you were. Didn't yeah. matter if you were a brilliant hockey player. You, you, you can't play hockey without all the pads and stuff. So, mm. um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pay, to, pay to participate. And there's always... Um, but, but unlike those other things, because there are highly competitive budget decks, uh, it might not be the exact taste that you want. Um, but you are able to uh, compete at the highest level with mm. uh, with a reasonable budget. Um, that said, so if we were to do a quick live version of that, so let's say we look at something like Jund, right? Uh, yeah. My first thoughts would be you've got these real standout, um, very expensive marquee cards like Ren and Six. Yes. Um, and there's obviously no replacement for Ren and Six. No. Um, but what you could do <laughs> is if you still want that grindy component... Um, that allows you to recur lands, you could replace it with some number of copy of, I believe, fairly cheap Life from the Loam, right? Yes. I believe yeah. Life from the Loam so is affordable, as I like to call yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's at least considerably cheaper than, than Ren, Ren and Six. A lot of things are, right. fortunately. And the, <laughs> the, cycling lands, the, the cycling lands are very cheap versus yes. the, uh, the dual-color uh, Horizon lands, I think we're yes. calling them. There's the, the enemy-colored lands that are similar to Horizon Canopy. Depends which so, ones, because I think the white-based ones... Outside, so, I know Silent Clearing's really cheap yeah. at the moment. Oh. I think that's the only cheap one. Um, but the other one... The other one. Sorry. Yeah, this is, so this is the kind of thing you end up with doing. And, yes. and um, you can swap Liliana the Veil for the new M21 Liliana, which is a yep. 4 CMC and very similar. Very good. Um and as as we're going along, you can kind of see the pattern of you're you're shifting down gears in in terms of having the best in class of each effect. But in some in a lot of cases, it's not by such a significant amount that the deck is rendered unplayable. And more often than not, um, a lot of the time, a lot of the budget alternatives just tend to be more expensive in mana cost. So you just have to mm. respect that when building the deck because you have to look at your curve. Because a lot of the reason why these cards are like mythic and rare is because they do a powerful thing for a much, much cheaper rate compared to, mm. you know, gotcha. and stuff. But at um, the same time, like normal brewing, sometimes because you're playing something that people aren't quite expecting, mm. you sometimes actually get free wins out of it. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's always one of the interesting things and a, a, a real reason to read and I, listen, consume a lot of this content is uh, just hearing about offbeat cards. Something I say is if an opponent takes your card and reads it, it's a really great compliment <laughs> as a brewer. Yeah. As I, or what? as I call it, the cough of the hammer test, because every time I play cough of the hammer, someone's always read it without fail. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. He does what like... now? He makes a land of 4-4, four, four, but and then, not And then you go, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll ultimate cough of the hammer, and they have to read it again, and then they realise they're dead. <laughs> they're very dead. Yeah, super yeah, dead. Very, very dead. Man, there's, there's that pause you get when you, you know, you're playing a brew on Magic Online, and like, you know, when I was messing with Arai, you play, you cast Arayo, and yeah. they just like a 45 second pause from the opponent while they're just like reading the card and <laughs> being like, a, what do we do? Yeah, 
yeah, I had this once uh, at an FNM. This was quite a while ago, pre you know pre lockdown times. Um, I was playing at an FNM and I was on Bogles, which is one of my favourite decks to play for those. Of you <laughs> and I was against Stretch. This was my game too, and I, I played a Wheel of Sun and Moon. And, oh yeah, um, that card. Enchant player, baby. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I was like, I'll play Wheel of Sun and Moon, and I'm going to chant you as in my opponent. And they had to read the card twice to understand what was happening. I was like and you know dredge away it's not gonna work <laughs> the way you think it is and it was quite funny so what's the oh, that's fantastic bo is boggle versus dredge is that a good matchup for boggle it's I have an no... insanely good matchup for boggle <laughs> yeah your creature just gets way too big for it gets way too bigger confagorate does nothing and dromoka's command is a hell of a card against dredge <laughs> amazing so amazing yeah now, see, see, I always have the uh, situation where I have occasionally made the Bogles players read their own cards yeah. when they try to um, put a, um, a Daybreak Coronet on a creature and I Assassin's Trophy their yeah. enchantment in response. Or, That's, uh... or if you play against a Spell Sky, it's amazing how many Bogles players doesn't know how Spell, cut, spell Sky oh. work either. <laughs> oh. I, but then occasionally you get the, 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 the shifting situation where it's like, I'm going to spell skite that. And they go, yeah, it says enchant player I, or creature I control. It's like, yeah, oh. so Kachi to Solidarity gets around that, I believe. Yeah, yeah, there's it, a couple of them. Spell skite in general is just a wacky one. I, uh, I once had a Jund opponent who just sat there like turn after turn after turn, not doing anything because I had a spell skite out. And yep. he was holding like thought seizes and stuff and thought that he couldn't thought seize me because I could just spell skite them. He's like, that card is so busted. As a judge, it is one of the more awkward things to deal with in competitive settings, but at least it's nice on an F&M um, mm. to just be able to tell the person they can only spell skite things that can target creatures. <laughs> yeah. It's not a ley line. No. It's not a you, 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 you. It has to be a legal target. Um, but then, of course, on the flip side, the inexperienced tournament player who asks the question, can I spell skite that? The answer is always yes. Yeah. You can always activate spell skite targeting the thing. Mm -hmm. mm, good yeah. to know. Good. I so, didn't know that. Good to know. Yeah. Well, it just doesn't always do anything. <clears throat> but you're free to tap it and pay the mana. <laughs> Pay the mana. All right. Yeah. So, uh, are any colors more easy to brew in than others? Um, so, for me, red or white or a combination of both tend to be quite easy for me. Purely because a lot of the decks, as we'll expand into the next question, um, a lot of the those decks in those colors tend to be in the common and uncommon rarity, which happen to be very, very cheap. So, uh, leading, kicking right off of that, so <laughs> specific archetypes are easier to brew in, you're saying? Yes, so anything aggro, I find, uh, at least I find quite easy to build because they're mostly commons and uncommons. Um, so, stuff like mono red prowess is a really good example. You can easily build that just off commons and uncommons because you have stuff like mono sister and lightning bolt and yada yada yada. Also, the fact it's monocolored means you can just run a load of basics and you don't have to worry about fetch lands. Um, one that I've also found is control can be quite easy to do on a budget for a similar reason, in particular blue-white control, because you have so many counter spells and removal spells in mm. common and uncommon. And also you have the, the planeswalkers that are uncommon, so like Narset Part of Reveals is a really good example. You can run that, and that's a powerful effect, and that's also really, really cheap. Um, Lastly, I would say a couple of tribal decks are quite cheap, which is weird because Cavern of Souls is ridiculously expensive for no real reason. 
Um, I find stuff like elves quite easy to build for a similar reason because you have all these mana dorks. You have like Heritage Druid and, and they've all been reprinted within the last year. So it's a really powerful tribal strategy that's quite affordable to build. Do you have any um, favorite budget options for, for common cards or uh, just a favorite <laughs> budget card that you like to jam in lists? So if you don't if you don't follow me on Twitter, I'm a big fan of Putrid Bleach because that is my placeholder on Tarmogoyf when it comes to Rock or Jund. Um, also, I really enjoy Fraven Inspector. It's one of my favorite cards in recent mm -hmm. times. So if I'm ever building a white deck, it's in there because it's always good and you draw cards off it. What more could you want? Yeah. <laughs> white devotion in Pioneer. Yeah, that is, and all blink. I enjoy playing Fraven Inspector so much in that deck. It is just the right format right format for the card yeah and another one i like is venerated loxodon as well which is not a common and uncommon mm. but it's really Ooh. cheap and i no, think the card's really great oh, so love good. that card <laughs> big angry elephant yeah so so as far as emma's concerned the jury is in putrid leech greater than uh our Tom. our friendly neighborhood creepy hand collector so uh <laughs> if and when the great daniel shriever gets to listening to this i just want you to know Maybe try out Putrid Leech. Maybe if your brews are not working out with um, Grimflare. Oh, Grim Grimflare. Grimflare. If your Grimflare brews aren't working out, <laughs> Putrid Leech. Also good in Death Shadow. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. So so and there's a perfect example of uh, of it's uh, it's a much less expensive card than Tarmogoyf, but it does something that Tarmogoyf can never do. <laughs> Win the game. Steal our hearts and minds. Oh, hurt you emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, we're we're getting. Getting, getting <laughs> <laughs> all right uh do you have any different tips when it comes to mtgo versus paper budget brewing because they seem almost inverse of one another um old cards are more expensive in paper newer cards are more expensive on mtgo uh pretty often and lands are crazy crazy cheap online chocks are pretty cheap fetches are you know still relatively cheap but duels are like laughably cheap like if you want to play legacy online is the way to I really go. answer this question because i tend to focus on paper more um but because i don't really brew for magic online i only brew for paper but the fact that fetch lands and stuff are super cheap and magic online is fantastic and i wish that was the case in paper and it gives you a lot more options to you know just play these optimized decks because you know you don't have this this limitation in paper um i mean this is probably a better question for you guys because you tend to you guys play more magic online and a lot more in tune with the economy than i am I mean, it's it's just a topsy turvy world is the answer. I mean, it, it's like the things that are expensive are randomly expensive sometimes, um, and uh, I mean, I, I will definitely say that proportionally, I love the way that mana bases tend to be online. And mm. uh, teenage me would be very happy with with the percentage of your deck because even even back in the day. At any time a good land was printed in standard, that was the uh, mandatory $20 per card thing. Hmm. Um, Blink Moth Nexus and Glimmer Void during the, the Mirrodin days, those were $20. And uh, Shocklands, when uh, the original Ravnica came out with those, those were always about $20 each. And it was just such a drag because anytime you wanted to build a, a deck in colors that you, you didn't own the, the cards for, you knew that before you could sort of enjoy playing any of the fun parts uh you, you had to go through this budgetary slog um 
which is great that it's not that way online for the most part. So, uh, you know, and, and then when you're when you're doing rental limits, which is what uh, you'll be doing for a uh, rental service, you're going to have a specific number of tickets that you can go up to. And it, it's nice to know that your mana base isn't going to be totally annihilating your, mm. your ticket limit. Um, <clears throat> most of the lands are pretty affordable. I haven't looked at Cavern in specific, but it's not as savage uh, online as it is in paper. So It's criminal how much it is in paper. It's one it, of my. It really is. If, Pe- if, Ple- if Pleasant Kenobi has fetch lands, I have cavernous souls. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So. Everyone needs to stake a claim. Yeah. Because there's no way. Because I think my issue is because a lot of people start off with tribal decks because that is the biggest draw to playing magic. It's like, oh, I can play my elf deck. I can play my goblins mm-hmm, deck. Mm-hmm. I can play my, oh, yeah. you know, dwarf deck or something completely random. And it's like, oh, Been there. you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> and you know you play up against like control decks that can be quite good against these travel decks, and you just don't have four cav. You don't have two hundred dollars to shed just to you know make that matchup better. It there's no way it should be that expensive. It's like annoying, especially for something that's just such a mandatory upgrade. This right? is it. Like it's like, like... There's there's literally no downside to it. Cavern of Souls is disgusting. Yeah, it's not and, like um, and you Ancient run Ziggurat. four. And you run four. Yeah. Yep. The only time you don't run four is an Amulet Titan. That can just get it. It has essentially four copies anyway through Prime Evil Titan. Yeah. So. Adron <laughs> runs the one. Yeah, this is it. Yeah. It's just really frustrating. So, what are good substitutes for the super expensive cards? So, I'm sure we <laughs> all noticed four color money pile um, because, you know, it's got its cute nickname, but it, it is uh, potentially problematic. But uh, each of these cards does show up in a number of other modern decks, usually mm. in a much more reasonable proportion. So, uh, Force Negation, Ren and Six, Karn the Great Creator, Uro, and Teferi. <laughs> Wonder who asked so this expensive. question. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, it's very, very, very hard to find budget replacements on very expensive modern staples that do one very particular thing and do it incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was budget alternatives of that card, that card would not be budget anymore because everyone would be playing that as well. Mm. So it, it's a well very, said, well it's said. a very tricky question. Um, with this, if you're looking to build like four color money piles, for example, I would just not to begin with, or just like focus into like two colors and then just kind of expand as you upgrade. So if you're looking to build Jund, for example, just stick with Golgari Rock for a bit. And then once you can afford it, you can go into red. Um, mm. But yeah, it's very difficult. Like you can't replace Teferi because Teferi is so unique because it's a yep. planeswalker that does this really powerful ability. You can't run like Silence because it's not it's not a planeswalker. No. It's just not the Bio same. Biomana Teferi is yeah. no comparison. Yeah. It's a very powerful card. Uh, and and occasionally so unique. We'll, we'll see play as a one-of, but yeah. it's nothing compared to the three-mana Teferi. Yeah, I, I think you just have to, like, it kind of depends on what build you're looking to, what kind of deck you're building as well. Like in blue-white control, you can get away with not running Teferi because you can run an asset instead, as I mentioned earlier, um, because mm. it, it, it does a effect that's quite powerful and it allows you to dig cards. Um, and with Force of Negation, that's really hard to replace because yeah. there's not many good free counter spells unless you run Pact of Negation. But even then, you have this downside where you have to pay for the tax. Um, it's it's very very difficult. And to be honest, there really isn't much like alternatives just because they would just be expensive because people would just run eight copies of that card. Yeah, that makes yeah, a lot of on, sense. On the on the plus side. 
I mean, I, I don't know how much water the argument ever held that the only reason that Money Pile wasn't taking over the top eights of modern in competitive setting was was the budgetary requirement. I think a lot of the competitive players have a rental service where they're able to put that deck together if they want to. Mm. And we have seen over the last little while them getting ousted uh, roundly from the top eights. So uh, it, the fact that that one particular gate uh, deck is so heavily gated, mm. it's not a big deal, folks. And most people probably wouldn't even enjoy playing it that much. Um, I've played it a number of times. It is exactly the kind of thing that I love doing. And even I don't love it that much. Uh, <laughs> you know, It's the kind of thing I love doing, but it's also a tap-out control deck. And yeah. uh, if I'm going to do that, I just want to play Niv-Mizzet. Because I love to draw up to ten cards. That's <laughs> also, much more exciting I think, to me. Not budget I think friendly. if you're, I think if you're looking to pick up Uros at some point, just wait until rotation comes. It will mm. be slightly cheaper. It won't be much cheaper. It will be slightly cheaper <laughs> to the point where you know you could probably justify picking some up. But again, Uro is just such a unique card. You're not going to see another card like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or we can wait and see if it gets banned in in one format or another. Because yeah. uh, I know legacy and modern players are both sort of please no uh, grousing about it from time to time. I don't know <laughs> if it's going anywhere. I'm just saying. I don't know that it, legacy is as concerned with the printing of Commander Legends. It sounds like they've got new uh, problems to deal yeah, with. Yeah, Commander Legends has some messed up cards for Commander. <laughs> so continuing on that uh you know i think this unfortunately this might be another question that i might know the answer to and don't want to hear it but <laughs> i'm a i'm a huge fan of playing you know i like three colors like you know i like four and five yeah. but like on a budget you know like let's say three uh because it's budget yeah. is it possible to create a you know a quality three color budget mana base and you know has what have you kind of learned about creating mana bases on a budget like what has it really taught you um, so my first uh, advice would be uh, making a doing a free color deck on a budget is very very difficult because you need good lands you need really good fixing um, it depends it depends on the strategy so if you're playing like a control deck you can probably get away with tap out lands because you're a lango deck you can probably offset that a bit um, however I would just question what does the third color do if it's a splash do you need it to begin with because it's much better to have a have a two color deck that does does the thing well and then you can go oh you know what i've got enough money i can expand into the third color and have these you know blood braid elves or colligan's commands or have you know ashiox or whatever in my control deck um it's just really hard to you know because you, you you're constricting the limit the creativity because you just you know you don't have the the good land consistency so i would just recommend going into two color to begin with just think what does this third color do and is it that important to my game plan to start off with if it's not just focus on two and then expand into three four five however you want to build mm -hmm. it but but i think you just need to be honest with yourself that you need <laughs> to you just got to be honest and it's really hard to be honest with yourself um it's just better to have a better deck that's much more streamlined than have a free color deck that doesn't quite get there, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I'm, you know, hard truth. So it's like you said, no, yeah. it's hard to be honest with yourself, and it's not the most fun thing, but I mean, you no. know, your points it's, are it's really good. It's also funny, though, because I, I think uh, once, once you're an adult, 
it's a little bit harder. But I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, it was just, you just threw it out the window. You were just like, well, I can't afford any of these cards, so yeah. we must go lower. And uh, you make the choice between making practical choices where you are actually picking cards that are going to uh, contribute mm. or you are playing into your fantasy of these knockoff versions of cards are going to be good enough. I don't know what the best substitute for Omnath that is a budget card is. <laughs> but I can basically guarantee you it is probably like six orders of magnitude worse. Um, like it's just... It's just so completely unique. There, There is no replacement for the ridiculous card that they printed, <laughs> which is cool. It's cool that it's so unique, but be, as long as it's a valuable card, you will be, you know, gated away from that specific effect. Mm. And, uh, you know, you, 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 you aren't going to be able to do that, and that's okay. You know? uh, on a, on a um, side note, we are... There are some really good land options you can get on a budget. Mm. So, like, the Paylands are a really good example. I think they're some of the best mm. budget lands you can have. Um, unfortunately, the enemy cycle's not been reprinted yet. Hurry up, Kaldheim. I would like to see these in Pioneer. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and also, the Pathway Lands are a really good one. I think the Pathway Lands are super good. Mm. Mm -hmm. And this is yeah. probably a bit of a hot take. I think they're better than the Fast Lands that we have at the moment. Woo! I like it. Um, and they're much cheaper, although Zendikar Rising Expeditions has made them quite cheap, which is also great. Um, mm. And yeah, so we do have these options um, that you can, you know, build a free color deck. So you do have like the the old um, Zend Battle for Zendikar lands are also good. You have the Czech lands from Dominaria, which are also really good. And they, these are quite affordable. They're not quite shock lands, fetch lands kind of on the top end. Um, but yeah, like we have some options. Although I have another hot take that I don't, I believe <laughs> that like dual lands should not be at rare. They should be at uncommon. No, no, I don't. I mean, within within a reasonable proportion of the magic yes. community, I believe that is mm. not not too hot of a take. Like like the pathway lands are great, but they should be uncommon. Yeah. How are they? Oh, rare? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that, I think that's the yeah. issue with land bases in general, that they're all printed at rare, like the good ones. And it's mm -hmm. like, why are they rare? Why are we not printing these at uncommon? The, the really unfortunate <laughs> hypocrisy of it is they almost always, or they will at least twice a year, print an uncommon come oh. into play tap cycle. And it's just like, well, why don't you make that the good one? Well, this and is it. Well, the you argument, have more rare slots. Yeah, the, this is it. And you have the argument of, oh, you know, powerful lands need to be at rare. And I'm like, explain Mystic Sanctuary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> explain Mystic card. Sanctuary to me. That that, that does not sit well with me. But do, yeah, do you think I, after the fact that they <laughs> were like, man, we should have made that cycle mythic. Just, we would have sold a lot more boosters if we had made that cycle yeah, mythic. It's just, because wizards know that land that people need good lands to play to you know play the game, so they they use that to their advantage. Which, from a, a, a morale standpoint, is not great for people like us who are trying to make decks. It's not a good point, you know. But they, sh I feel like they should be uncommon. I don't, I, you know, it's it's just a bugbear of mine. But <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's a it's a totally legitimate one. Mm. Um, and then uh. We need a nice softball question here, so I wanted to ask: What is your guilty pleasure for non-budget play? Right. So this is going to be surprising because I normally play Tron. I normally play Bogles, and they're like my they're like my bread and butter when it comes to <laughs> it comes to modern. Um, 
So, so, um, so surprisingly, I really enjoy playing Dredge. Hmm. That is surprising. Um, and I'll be honest, I had quite a bit of fun playing Ho during Hogak Summer when I played Hogak. <laughs> ah, nice. Hey man, it's fun to be the bad guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I also enjoyed Eldrazi Winter, so that says a lot about me. <laughs> I, it's fun to play with good cards, you know? Like, turn two, there's a certain feeling you get when you escape Earl on turn two, and you're just like, mm. wow. It's pretty good. But no, it's just, this is something about Dredge, because the mechanic Dredge is just super broken, right? Like, oh, it yeah. should not be a thing. And it's just nice, even even now, it, like, even with no Faithful Suit, it's still really fun to play, and it's just like, yeah, I should not be allowed to just do this, you know, have my, have my library in front of me and just attack you with it, like. Oh, in, in, in paper, the first time you see one of those dredge players that, like, does their graveyard sideways, mm. it, it's one of those things where you're like, I, I didn't even know that was an option. What is that person over there doing? And yeah. someone will just tell you, and they'll be like, oh, they're playing dredge. You're like, what is, what, what is that? <laughs> I always play why, with my, it... I always play with my graveyard, like, just in front of me and have my lands yeah, at the top, yep. and then, yep. yeah, yep. just that's, that's, then tap yep. my amalgams so I know they come back in and stuff. It's just, and, it's just a tidy play for opponents as well, so they know what they're yep, doing yep. and so forth. No, no, it, it makes complete sense, but it's one of the only decks in the world that will yeah. ever do that, and that's, and that's very cool. Um, and there was, locally, there was one player who the way that they would flick their cards off the top <laughs> the entire deck was creased it was oh. just bent but oh. it was it was it was consistent how um, how would so you as, how would you mark that as a judge cuz surely the we, cards we, we are marked didn't. we cuz every well no it was every card was equally marked there was no right. way that we could tell <laughs> and the sleeves were good. Uh, okay. it was just literally the cardboard was I mean at a certain point I'm sure it was distorting the sleeves in in an in, unequal way but mm. uh, we never had to deal with that but uh, it was just a gentle curve on the whole deck it was <laughs> wild crazy um, sure yeah then, I, I, um, yeah I really enjoy dredge so call me the bad guy <laughs> and, okay and then um, and then it, it's perfect that you said that because I thought of uh, a a perfect investigative reporting ambush question here okay which is that um, no 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 popper <laughs> yep. was the first format that came down hard on our good friend astrolabe so my mm -hmm. question for you is do popper players hate fun and why <laughs> I don't think they hate fun uh, the, so the thing is with astrolabe it was literally everywhere i'll give you context of how everywhere it was so i play bogles and pauper even bogles played astrolabe and poor sky fisher and that is like <laughs> the least bogles thing you do but you play it because it just because if you don't play it you're just so behind it walked the meta game in such a way that you had to play it which is not a good sign um wow yeah, Astrolabe should have been banned in Pauper from the start. Like, it was such a mistake. And now we've got a mistake now because you've got Fall from Favor, which is, you know, the Monarch Enchantment Aura for free mana. And, oh, you know, that's warping, that's warping Pauper now as well. So that's probably going to get banned soon. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> Astrolabe's just too good. It's for one mana, it does way too much. At, you know, and it sh again, it shouldn't be a common. It should have probably been, like, an uncommon. Um, and it shouldn't have been in Pauper well, to begin with. at least for the with, benefit but... of the uh, Pauper players, yeah. Yeah, um, and yeah. like, it's just, it's just annoying to see snow mana seen as a downside when the set is just so full of snow stuff. It's not really a downside, is it? So, uh. Well, I mean, the, the bigger issue was there was never any kind of snow hosing. No, you know? um, there wasn't, there like, wasn't like, like a blood... Always... 
There wasn't like a, yeah. you know, blood Freely's into snow lands. radiance <laughs> is the card that exists in yes. modern, and it's it's yeah. useless. Yeah. It, it, it hoses snow in a completely ineffective way, and I believe... I believe it has cumulative upkeep. It does, yes. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah, it's from Cold <laughs> That's a deep cut for all. All right. Amazing. Um, so uh, we have a live brewing session that we want to try out with you here. And I think we'll get to Brian's stuff first. Yeah, I had just in my own you know brewing normally kind of realized that there are some uh more budget friendly ways to go and emma touched on this earlier you know brewing in the agro space tends to be a little bit cheaper um, i've noticed artifacts are usually very cheap there's some standouts that are quite expensive uh, especially some of the older mirrodin cards um you know um, but by and large, uh, unless it is uh, very popular in Commander, a lot of the artifacts are super cheap. Um, so when we played our uh, Urza decks in uh, episode one, um, you know, I played that, that aggro Urza affinity style list uh, that was rocking the Memnites and the Ornithopters and the Signal Pests and all that kind of stuff. Those are all really cheap cards. And the thing that I noticed with that deck is that it did consistently have a turn for Goldfish when it wasn't interacted with. Um, and so that just tells me that these cards are still powerful cards and, you know, maybe a little bit more love in that area could find something uh, interesting. Um, similarly, uh, Tron, the Tron lands just got reprinted. They are dirt cheap. They were printed at common. Um, even before then, you know, they were like a dollar or two a piece, which, you know, for needing 12 of them starts to add up. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're dirt cheap now. And Tron is just an incredibly powerful, uh, archetype as a whole, whether you're slamming, you know, uh, a Karn Liberated or just a, an expensive artifact you know there's the a Elish lot of Norn. Cool stuff yeah anybody want to play white tron oh yeah. i mean I, I have a white tron list as well yeah. i knew you would uh <laughs> it's like awesome. it's it's life game with crested summer <laughs> well there you go i mean I get now down. you're cooking with propane yeah yeah you gotta ship us uh, these lists. Share them yeah, in the Discord. That, that, that's one of the things i do i just brew with tron lists i've got a mono black one as well with josie vess and yes Oh, it's one of the X tutors. I've got it's called Diabolic something. It's like an X cost tutor that you can play as well. Um, it, the name escapes me, but it's an X cost tutor. It's double black, and you find whatever card and, you want. And there's um there's one that's black 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 with like kicker seven. That's like a super cranial extraction. Yes. Where you get to like take twelve <laughs> cards out of their deck or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's uh there's definitely some cool stuff to find. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so in this, this vein, and as we talked about earlier, I had started brewing up a mono red Tron list. And uh, this is, I think, what I'm going to be playing uh, in the intervening time between the next episode and iterating on. Uh, it clocks in at well under 100 ticks, and I'm going to try and keep it there. It is um, a little bit more expensive in paper. Blightsteel Colossus is a $30 card right now, which thankfully is down from the 50 it was at uh, wow. before it was reprinted in Double Masters. But, um, you know, maybe there is something else. You know, uh, Mirror Battle Sphere uh, could be a decent substitute. It doesn't win on the spot, but especially with Goblin Engineer kind of... Um, being able to put it in the graveyard and bring it back a couple of times with trash for treasure, you're going to go wide with those mirror tokens and things like that. So I could see that ending a game pretty quickly. Um, 
how about you guys? Uh, what do you what do you think in? Well, I did my bu- my budget brew for the uh, Faithless Community Brewing League. Um, we we had a, a budget section which was uh, under two hundred ticks. Um, so I played a uh, Chalice of the Void um, Confounding Conundrum Mono Blue Control deck. Uh, when I realized that Snapcaster Mage is reasonably budget, Cryptic Command is reasonably budget, and even Jace the Mind Sculptor. I mean, it's like 10 tickets, but uh, like compared to the $130 in paper, I mean, that's that's just wow. truly insane disparity. Um, which is, you know, in corresponding to its actual power level in all the formats it's legal in, is probably appropriate. So... Go figure, Jace fallen from grace a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but I I need to find uh, more ways to have lands come into control or un- into play under my opponent's control, other than Field of Ruin, uh, because that definitely works with Confounding Conundrum, and it was a good time to be had. Uh, Confounding Conundrum is a very interesting main deck hate piece to play it in modern, because all your opponents who are playing fetch lands are suddenly heavily hosed. <laughs> Um, Titan decks and the Money Pile deck are not fans of this card, um, so it's uh, it's definitely something fun. Uh, Chalice of the Void is surprisingly affordable, but honestly, I don't think it's even particularly well positioned right now. So uh, I could probably cut the chalices and just play some better cards <laughs> in that slot, like some one mana spells. Um, Transfer so might what, be a good option. I was gonna say, so Emma, what what are what are the best mono blue cards that I'm missing in this list? Oh, let me get this list up. Uh, let's have a look. It's I think it's the first one, because the second one is the blue green um, bouncing right. prison deck, and that one's chock full of arrows. So you can <laughs> yeah, we don't want that. We don't want that. No card creator. Yeah. Um, and deprive's a spicy one. I do like deprive with mystic century clocking in at 0.02 tickets thank you very much <laughs> yeah i used to play so i used to play mono blue uh delver in pauper when mystic century was legal and it was just deprived oh, yeah. and mystic century Oof. locks and it was great um on a side note um, <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know actually um i do like the tail's end i think that's i think that's a good shout um hmm on the spot here no no worries it's uh, just just always. I, I wonder if someone has some some secret card for blue where they're like, oh, if only I had the the shell for this one card that I found. Fibble fib, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder if it's baby. Budget blue legend. Uh, oh, so good. Kind of moving into like not necessarily bouncing, but um, liquid metal coating and like a stony silence type effect because stony silence is likely cheaper than Karn. Um, mm. It kind of puts mm. you in the blue-white space, but maybe instead of just doing, um, you know, bouncing to, to sort of set them off tempo, you can kind of get that Rashadden port-like oh. effect by mm. uh, liquid metal coating their, their lands. Stony Silence is symmetrical, yeah. so it's not going to work with liquid metal coating. That's fair. Yeah, that's womp a good womp. point. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you... That's what happens when you do it live. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're I, too I, used I, to calling. Yeah. yeah. Confound- you know what? Confounding Conundrum is, is quite the confounding conundrum for me. I like this card a lot, but like all of the um, land swapping uh, effects like um, uh, Cleansing Wildfire and Geomancer's Gambit are both sorceries. Mm. So you, you can't take advantage of your opponent's natural land drop. Mm-hmm. Um, by by doing that, so it, it doesn't. There's, it's so hard to take advantage of this card. Spicy tech, so. spicy tech. Mm. Leyline right. of anticipation. 
Oh, there, oh, there you go. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Go blue-red and play Leyline of Anticipation. And this is really getting weird, but, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe it's worth burning 10 tickets on. Oh, yeah. Love to burn tickets on. Now we're on talking. Now we're cooking. Spice. All right. All right. And, and, uh, and then we've got one more here. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think I'd actually be very interested in taking one of your lists, Emma, and, like, tweaking it and, like, you know, especially your Black Year Tron. Those sound fascinating yeah. to me i was really yeah, initially I can, thinking I, can, I need to update them because again they're quite old and i've not looked at them forever but i'll, I'll happily update them just let yeah, me know that's... which flavor of tron you like oh i'll well, take you can i'll take whichever just, flavor uh, just just sling them at us mm. uh, in their current form mm. and i'm sure um jiggy will come up with something that will immediately for one <laughs> and that, uh, that Brian and I, uh, both simultaneously trying to use good cards and bad cards, are going to manage to fail. Yeah, yeah I can do that. I can definitely do that. Yeah, that, I can you know. Mox Tantalite into any list. Oh, oh no! Don't don't tempt me. I was this close. I was this close to a five zero with four Mox Tantalite. Like I, I remember it. I I could honestly I could go on a huge like. Or I could write an article on how, if you wanted to brew with Mox Tantalite, how you'd do it. I might actually do that, because it's kind of neato. Uh, but that was, well, you know, and then heartbreaking. You, you, come on, you gotta, you gotta include a good paragraph for why Mox Tantalite <laughs> resists being broken. Yeah. It is, it is the most brutally fair Mox that is ever, probably will ever be made. I, I don't, I don't... Sad. So sad. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, big shout out while we're still here in this area to um, Blackmail, my favorite um, one CMC replacement for Thoughtseize. <laughs> if you are if you are playing black budget decks, um, Inquisition of Kozilek is a good four of. It's not too too expensive, and then you follow that up with Blackmail. Yes. Uh, so Emma, before we uh, we give up on talking about brewing here, uh, <laughs> do you have any any uh just broad you know broad categories of of uh maybe where we should we should focus our our efforts i know you had said uh aggressive decks and it sounded like red white and uh possibly blue white are good starting points mm. yeah so if it depends on where you are as a magic player and have you are you coming from standard are you getting into modern for the first are you a new magic player that wants to play modern um, like identifying what you enjoy is important however if you just want to get a feel for the format just going aggressive is the best way to do it because it's cheap your matches are really really short and it, uh, it just teaches you the fundamentals of magic really really easily and the last thing you want is to play a super complex deck as your first choice because you're likely to quit and then you won't play more magic and that's just sad for everyone so yeah just going for a, an aggressive strategy just tends to be the best option in my eyes just in in any capacity and especially in terms of like the modern meta game, if if a meta game is unsold, playing an aggressive strategy is usually a good option because you know it does one thing and it does it really really well. Doesn't care about anything else. So that would be my starting point. Just go like one red burn, like one red powers is a really good option, and that is just super cheap and it's just blisteringly fast. Now, right. if you wanted to turn our um, uh, the might of our brewing power here towards any particular budget deck. Do you have one in your pocket where you're like, ah, I need people to run the tests on this brew and see if it's it able probably, to stand up? It would probably be one of my Tron brews, to be honest. Nice. All right. It has to so be one gotta, of the you Tron gotta throw, decks. You got to throw those at yep. us. And uh, 
you will get some uh, free research time in the lab here. Excellent. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, uh, before we completely close out, uh, Emma, why don't you tell us where we can find you online? Right. So you can find me on Twitter at Emzyne. So that's E-M-M-M-Z-Y-N-E. I write for TCG Player every week. So you can find my articles go live every Tuesday. It's normally about Tuesday morning time in America. And you can find me on the BM cast, which is the podcast I do with Scott Cullen, who's a Car Kingdom writer who also writes about budget magic. And um, we go like we our episodes go live every Thursday, and we talk about all things budget, modern, and commander, and everything else. So check it out. And thanks for having me. It's been a good laugh. It's been good fun. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. No, no problem. All right. Zach, why don't you lead us out? <laughs> Well, in, in the tradition of stealing from other podcasts, we've got a feature that I had to uh, come up with our own name for. So we've got Bumps and Dumps. That's something that you want to give a fist bump to and something that you, uh, let's say, w- w- that we want to throw out uh, that you'd rather just not, not have around. Um, so, so just the good and the bad. Um, for anyone who's truly curious about it, this is from the Scoops and Poops of uh, the wonderful Leaving a Legacy podcast. Thank you, mm. Jeremy, for all the things you do for that. Uh, that is a in- thoroughly enjoyable podcast. So, uh, you know, what, what, what is something great going on this, uh, this period of your life? And uh, if there's anything bad going on, just throw that out there, you know? Just vent. Feels good. Um, oh, this is a good question. Um, is this in general or...? Yeah, just yeah. general. It doesn't Whatever have you to want. be magic. It could be, it could be anything. P- case in point... Uh, Rune, I, I uh, didn't manage to bring this up the other time, so I, uh, I went on a long, day-long quest, uh, hours-long quest, trying to find uh, passion fu- fruit puree. Ooh. <laughs> and all the places I went to, couldn't find any frozen passion fu- fruit puree. Um, I could order a one kilogram uh, <laughs> a container of it off of Amazon, but Yum. I wanted to see if I could find a local alternative. Mm. And uh, while I couldn't do any of those things, uh, big bumps to my local Asian grocer, because I love Asian grocery stores. Yep. They are the bomb. If you need gochujang, which is Korean uh, red chili paste, which is a essential ingredient in your Korean stir fry, or if you need mirin, which is uh, Japanese cooking wine, this is the place to go. And uh, they had fresh passion fruit, which I had to learn to deal with and are nothing like you think they will be. Nope. They're weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know if I had ever tasted passion fruit before. You expect it to be, uh, I guess, sweet, but so it's actually good. very kind of tart. So good. Mm. I love um, passion fruit. And not only that, they have the strangest structure that I have ever seen <laughs> with this sort of crackly, waxy outside layer that has like an air chamber. And then inside, it's like gooey seeds. So and then good. I had to figure out how to you have to you have to food process them very carefully so you don't annihilate your seeds but so big big shout out to my local asian grocer which is also the best place to uh pick up uh, a sushi made day of because i don't know if anyone else here loves sushi i do and uh but most grocery store sushi is atrocious i have no idea <laughs> what they are doing so wrong that it is not only more expensive but it is almost inedible compared to your local Asian grocery store. So go patron that. It's probably a reasonably small business that is not owned by some ultra gigantic corporate uh, conglomerate. So uh, patron them and uh, 
know what you're looking for. Just bring pictures because sometimes the employees won't speak English and that's okay. <laughs> so I'm going to jump in. Uh, I'm going to keep it really quick. Uh, a couple bumps, huge bumps to Emma for coming and joining us. You know, this was a lot of fun. No I really appreciate you taking the time. That was uh, fun. Bumps to science again, you know, like it's going to be a dark winter, but the vaccines, there's three of them and they're all looking pretty good, uh, which I'm actually oh, yeah. going mm. to try and enroll in the clinical OHSU is actually part of the AstraZeneca clinical trial. Uh, and so I, I signed up and hopefully I'll get a test vaccination. That'd be pretty sweet. And look at you, buddy. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, kind of random, but uh, bumps to random six. I, I just love that card. It's just, <laughs> it's dirty. Oh. It's like cruel. When I see my opponent goes turn to random six, it's like, I'm going to, this sucks. I'm in serious trouble. But when I do it, it's just like, oh yeah, like we're set. Uh, it's, it's a it, red green planeswalker that draws you a card every turn uh, for two mana. I just hit, remember hit when everyone drops. was just like, I just remember when everyone was super off the card when it first got previewed. And I'm just like, your card evaluation is awful. Yep. Should be Amen. Straight away. I mean, that's that the most entertaining thing about every preview season is the bad takes on cards. Yeah. Yep. We've I all made them. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um I think I think, uh, I think I, okay. oh, I'll jump in. Um I think my biggest fist bump at the moment is um the fact that it's in in similar vein that you know the UK has as a as a vaccine, you know, it's all good to go and you know that's kicking off next week which which is really, nice. really great. Um, and big fist bump to a, a local shop near me that's a, is, is a cheesery. So I'm a big fan of cheese. <laughs> like, I love cheese. And it is that time of the year where Emma buys loads of cheese. So I spent a good amount of money on <laughs> cheese for the Christmas period. And I made some really nice camembert, which is like a... It's a French dipping cheese, so you get some bread Oof. and you get some fruit in it, yeah. you dip it. It's really, really good. So yeah, yeah. shout out to a local, to one of my lo local shops um, that just does a really good cheese, because cheese is great. I have, I have seen those <laughs> pictures on Twitter. They yeah, they're really jealous. good. <laughs> <laughs> I love living in Europe. <laughs> uh, for me, I would have to say, I'm going to say bumps to um, new espresso machine. I, I purchased Ooh. a new espresso nice. machine. Actually. Bumps yes. to Clive Coffee. They're out of Portland uh, up there with you, Jiggy. Nice. Um, they uh, stayed on the line with me for like an hour and a half getting me measurements on the machine because it is large and will dominate my counter space, and I wanted to make sure that it would actually fit. And so I asked for some really uh, oddball measurements on it, and they were very patient and got me the measurements and uh, ended up sealing the deal with them. So I am nice. very excited this should arrive sometime around Christmas. Um, Sick. And then... Yeah, I you know I feel like we've all had uh, pretty positive no no dumps from anybody this week, and I, I think I think it's good to end on that. I uh, let's let's have a, a positive upbeat week. Mm. Hey man, modern's good, life is good, and brewing on a budget sounds like it is going well. Oh hell yeah! yeah. Give me my Bla mono blacktron. Let's go. <laughs> and, and, Thought and distortion. You know just like my 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 first sort of noteworthy brewing was with uh, with Lutri the Spell Chaser, which mm. involved a lot of cards that had not seen the light of day in a while. <laughs> and uh, you know what? As much as it's fun to play the top tier meta decks uh, on on my stream, it has always been fun to delve into the insanity of trying to make certain cards work. Um, so. Uh, it's it's always a good uh, good time when you find out that there is some black huge kicker spell that uh, cranial extractions your opponent for twelve cards. <laughs> <laughs>
Isn't there? There's a fixed mind twist, right? It's black, black X. Yes, I believe it. Yeah. Oh yeah, that sounds that sweet. I want to mind twist yeah. people. There's also good old Rakdos's return. Yes. Oh yeah. Which is both a burn spell and a mind twist. I mean, they get to choose the cards they discard, but you yeah. know, very, very playable in Pioneer uh, New Midget. Sweet. Well, all uh, right. Cool. Yeah. Have a good one, y'all. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to episode 7 of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg. Email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com or join us on Discord at the link in the episode description of your podcast player or on serumvisions.podbean.com. Caffeine.